If your last name is Chaplin, you should be running scared. Oh my goodness. And silently. Why is that? And probably kind of goofily. <laughs> probably. Because as of now, the uh, Copyright uh, Term Extension Act is an act that was passed. Um, can't remember exactly when, but the point is, is that it was, or it was like the late '90s, right? Okay. And it was an amendment to the uh, Copyright Act of 1976, which basically said, you know, copyright terms have been extending. They used to be like 20 years, then it was like 40 years. Sure. Basically, to just be like, quote unquote, the life of the artist. Sure. And so that the the artist, you know, you could profit off of his or her own work and mm-hmm. nobody else could. But it's understood that, like, you know, certain things at some point should just be like Sherlock Holmes. It's right. good that everybody can do Sherlock Holmes, which paying anything. You know, now we get into like TV and movie distribution rights. And right. those aren't necessarily free. But you could create, you know, you could write a Sherlock Holmes story. Nobody could really stop you. Right. Uh, well, there's a bunch of stuff that is coming now uh, due to be into the public domain okay. uh, with the um, expiration of the copyrights. And the copyright, thanks to the CTEA, has been extended essentially to 95 years. Wow. Yeah. And it's all about, oh, hi. Uh, yeah. Everybody down on the floor. Yeah. This is robbery. Right. Uh, because Mickey Mouse was going to go right. uh, into open uh, domain, which unless... A lot of people. Uh, so I've I've read a lot about this. It won't sound like it because I'm not <laughs> I'm not talking very well about it. But a lot of people think that there won't Disney will try to do another one. Yeah, sure. Because Mickey will now. I don't know what the exact date is, but it's in the next twenty years or so. Mickey will go into the um, public, public domain. domain, and a lot of people think that Disney either won't be able to get uh, another extension or just won't bother because this oh. last one was real. It was granted to them, and of course they have plenty of money and they can lobby the hell yeah. out of it, mm-hmm. but a lot of people are like, okay, come on, what are, we, what are we doing here? Right. We have to completely change you know, what we think of as the sort of normal, reasonable uh, expectations of intellectual property mm-hmm. rights. And you know, I understand, Like, I get why Disney doesn't want... Mickey Mouse to be I get it public too. domain, but yeah. at the same time, nobody's gonna try to. There's still trademarks. There's still you know copyright. Well, I guess this is copyright, but there's still nobody's gonna just make like, hey kids, it's a it's Mickey, Mickey Mouse, Mouse cartoon. Yeah. yeah, you know it's gonna be very clear that it's not from the, the House of Mouse yes. itself. So I don't really I don't know what the big deal is. But anyway, Charlie Chaplin's films, specifically his film The Pilgrim. Uh, is now in the general copyright, oh, okay. as is really old <laughs> songs like the Charleston. Okay. Or yes, we have no bananas. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Okay. Um, I didn't realize that the Charleston wasn't already in public domain, but yeah, I don't, I don't know who who even owns it. Yeah. Who well, owns they don't own it? it anymore. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Probably not alive anymore. The heir to the uh, it's like uh, about a boy. If about a boy was a tragedy. Instead of a feel-good comedy, right? Uh, yeah, um, Hugh Grant's character, you know, would maybe in the sequel we see that Santa Super Slay has now gone in, gone into the uh, public domain, <laughs> and so suddenly Nick's, I think his character's name is Nick. I don't remember. The guy that wrote the book's name Nick. Right. Uh, is losing all his money. He right. can't just take baths anymore. Right. He's got to do something. Exactly. Now that. Um, uh, Nick Holt, you know, who plays the titular boy, right, is all grown up, right. 
and doing. I really wanted about movies. a boy too. Do I don't you? know if you got that. <laughs> it's fast it's a fun forward. Movie. Sure, yeah, it's a good movie. It's fun. Yeah, it is. There's a lot going on in that movie. There is a lot going on. I would agree with that. There, it's sure. one thing to be like, "Well, oh, this guy is, he really likes Arsenal, and he's also got romantic problems." Right, right, right. <laughs> you know. But then I guess a lot's going on in uh, High Fidelity, too. Are we are we doing a Nick Hornsby show? Is I that what's going on right now? I don't right think now? we're doing a Nick Hornsby show. Oh. I thought we were doing a Paul Verhoeven show. Maybe. Oh, well, thanks for just dropping it right out there. <laughs> uh, About a Boy was directed by Chris and Paul Whites. Okay. They're American, so I'm going to say it's Whites. All right. And uh, they are filmmakers, writers, directors uh, who have done n- not... Not a lot of great stuff. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, some people get like one movie that's kind of Well, good. they had one and it was the Golden Compass. And oh, that thing burned and oh crashed uh, like a yeah. Zeppelin. So mm-hmm. that didn't work out. No. Uh, but they also did American Pie, so that kinda made their oh. made their bones. Well for that's them. different. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, uh yeah. So I don't know, maybe um we'll we'll do something with something that's open source. All right. Uh like an example would be like Nosferatu uh the film, the Murnau yes. film, yes, um, went into public domain in like the late '90s, and mm-hmm. so you, you've seen like I think there was a fairly big budget one that Doug Jones was in, where they just oh, did really? like a remake of Nosferatu. Ironically, Nosferatu itself stolen f- right. from Dracula. From Dracula, so yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, if Bram Stoker was a Dracula, he would be very upset in his coffin reading <laughs> reading the news. <laughs> Of Nosferatu. It's hard yeah. to turn a page, a newspaper page inside of a coffin. But yes, yes it is. He's like, I can't believe this. <laughs> First this, and now, now something else. I, I need to bring my dirt over there. and. <laughs> yeah, and... so call the dirt guys. Yeah, exactly. You gotta move my dirt around. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, uh, yeah, like as you dropped, uh, we are basically talking about P- Paul Verhoeven today. Yes. Uh, and I wanted to do it with a little more... A little more fanfare than that All right. in the method that uh, Paul would in his American films. But instead, sure. we did it like one of his Dutch films. <laughs> Sorry. I just we, dropped it. We painted it. it like one of his Dutch films. Okay. All right. Uh, so, yeah, we're talking about Paul Verhoeven, the director, uh, writer, uh, Dutch superstar. Yes. Pretty much the only thing, um, no offense, uh, a lot of people are going to be crying into their, into their weed, but uh, probably the biggest film thing to ever come out of. The Netherlands. The old Netherlands. Yeah. I'm jealous of the Netherlands. Okay, why? How many names do you get for your country? Yeah. <laughs> they're they're Dutch. Yes. They're they're the Netherlands. Yes. They're Holland. Yes. There's something about orange is real important. <laughs> sure. As a color. Yeah. There's a lot of lot of identity for a tiny little country that's half underwater. That's true. That is very true. And it's all summed up in this man. Very um I think they're known as being uh, pretty permissive. Mm-hmm. Uh, just you know, from a societal perspective, right? And they created that that land created a man who is very permissive cinematically. Yes, <laughs> yes. Uh, to put it uh, to to do to to begar the description. Yes, uh, if that's not right at all. But like the point is, open face sandwiches and <laughs> no, that's multiple sexual relationships. No, that's that's Sweden. Oh, okay. You're thinking of Stig Larsson. Yes, I am. <laughs> Although I'm. Sure, there are plenty of open face sandwiches. <laughs> you can jump, hop a dike, and go get a open face sandwich. No That's problem. right. Uh, so we're talking about his American work. Yes. Uh, mostly, uh, here are the films. We're talking about RoboCop. Mm-hmm. We talk about 
Total Recall. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk about Basic Instinct. Yep. We're going to talk about Starship Troopers. Yep. You'll notice that I did not say Showgirls. No. Uh, we're just not going to talk about Showgirls. No. Um, he is a, a satirist, mm-hmm. and I want to talk about his films where that worked. Right. <laughs> not a film where, where it failed. It was a disaster just on all accounts. Yeah. Uh, but we will be talking about Basic Instinct, so you'll get your Joe Esterhaz there, yeah. uh, your fix. And then, uh, because we're skipping uh, Showgirls, and also we're skipping his very first American movie, Flesh and Blood, mm-hmm. which I wish that we had watched. Oh, okay. Uh, in retrospect, but we've already watched quite a few. Yes. Uh, we'll be talking about the film uh, that when uh, Polly came uh, marching home, yeah. or swimming home, uh, to Holland, uh, he made a film called Black Book, mm-hmm. which was voted in 2008 the greatest Dutch film ever made. Yeah, and I don't know how many but other films But at an expense of 20 million euros or <laughs> whatever it was. Right. Uh, it probably, yeah, it is definitely the most Dutch movie ever made. Right. Although, right. I don't remember a single windmill. No. I don't remember a single one either. What the hell? Uh, I don't know. No windmills were hurt during the filming of this film. <laughs> <laughs> That would so. just be the perfect, like, you know, a Nazi Messerschmitt strafes yes. a windmill, bullet holes right. in the sail, yes. but it turns on. Yes. I like that. It's a good, powerful image, too. Yeah. It's, but instead of that, we get Carice Van Houten's tits. Yes. <laughs> Which <laughs> I would argue also a powerful image. Yes. Uh, so we'll be talking about that and a little bit of news. How you doing? I'm I'm doing well, Cal. Uh, it's our first show of the new year, so feeling pretty good. Um, new year, yeah. Same us. Same us, yeah. Um, but I I think we're gonna have we have you know some good show ideas coming up. I think so. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's not going to be quite exactly the same us. We, yeah. we are working on quite a lot of new things this mm-hmm. year, and. Um, I want to, I'm a little nervous. I just want to get through this. Okay. <laughs> I All right. That's not a great recommendation. Uh, keep listening. Yeah. Uh, but there's, this is, as we decided on this and we started kind of, you know, watching the films and sort of talking about them, I yeah. realized for a person who, I guess I don't know really well outside of interviews with him and whatnot, I'm realizing like how much his films like shaped me as a young film fan. Sure. And... Now I am older, uh, I have more perspective and context, and I can look back and see that he was doing a thing, sure, as we yeah, say. Absolutely. But you don't know that, you know, when you're in your teens, you just think, right. is this is this what it is? Is this, am I supposed to like this film where a guy pulls an egg out of his nose? <laughs> when you hear the crunch, you're there. I know. Uh, like just this hyper violence and this sex and stuff like that. And for me, it was like, this sort of lurid kind of like, should I like this? Is this is this okay? I think I like this, but it's like, oh boys, wow, Ooh. yeah, Ooh. fanning myself. What is going on? <laughs> um, but we'll get to all that. Yes, later for sure. Let's talk about the news. Well, I got some news for you. Um, a lot of the news has to do, as they always do, or mm-hmm. it always does, with things that are coming up. Sure. Things that are in development. Sounds the good. The development news. And one thing that I wanted to talk about was, and I think we might have mentioned this before on the show, but it looks like uh, Amblin Television, that is Steven Spielberg's TV company, right, uh, is going ahead with their plans to make a Rashomon TV series. Okay. Uh, 
I, I could see that, but wouldn't you like run out of story like after the first season? Isn't it just kind of like a mini series more than a TV show? Uh, in the film, in the uh, film there was like maybe like what four perspectives there or something are, like that. Don't judge me. There are three. There are three. Okay. And then maybe the dog. Right. <laughs> uh, roof, roof. Oh, he's right. right. He's right. Dog vision. It's all in black and white. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Uh, well, there'll be this will be a ten episode series. Okay. Well, and that means you have to have ten different characters. Yes, then. on a uh, on a single event told from multiple points of view. I hope not ten. Yeah, but well, it could be. I kind of feel like it is going to be, uh, or potentially Isn't what they the could sl- do is okay. like do like five or so, and then like their stories continue in another episode or something right. like that. So um, the slap off the top of my head, um, the first season of the. You're having an affair or whatever. Oh, the affair? Yeah. Yeah. Like, this is not, this isn't new. No. You're just making a 10, it's, it's not. A 10 episode cable drama. Right. It sounds, it was what it sounds like. Yes. But they keep saying Rashomon, Rashomon, Kurosawa, introducing people to Kurosawa. So, my, I want to, I don't understand how it's connected to, will they just Kurosawa be doing film. Rashomon, but in like a 10 episode, will it be a period piece? Right. I don't think we know Are any of these details. Are they doing it in Japanese? Or? If, yeah, yeah, I don't know. I, it will be a dramatic mystery thriller series. Okay. Um, but again, a mystery thriller series that features deceptions and like different points of view. Right. You're making a TV we've, show. We've seen this. This sounds before. like a TV show. Yeah, for sure. Um, I don't know. It'll be interesting. That it's they're not being super clear as to how it will be related to Rashomon. Um, I yeah, I don't know. Um. Like, like you said, this isn't something brand new. Um, we've seen stuff like this before. So how are they going to make it different? How are they going to make it, quote unquote, new and tantalizing for people to watch? Lightsabers. Lightsabers. <laughs> yeah. All A right. future Rashomon. Right. The perspectives come from an, a VI virtual integrated sort of you're seeing like oh i'm seeing this but then also you can go into somebody's brain and you're seeing it sure. from their perspective and right which I mean, has also been done right <laughs> yeah i mean it kind of sounds like it's potentially an episode of Black i mean he already Mirror made minority report but right yeah yeah that's just what it sounds like yeah but it won't be that no it'll be different <laughs> So what a great movie. Let's remake it. Yeah, I know. Makes makes sense. I know. Uh, it looks like the Travel Channel has ordered a Ripley's Believe It or Not reboot. OK, um, I'm, I'm familiar with the books. So I'm not you, you familiar with the TV show. So you don't believe it. I, I don't believe it. Well, it's still happening, <laughs> whether you believe it or not. You're familiar with the books, you say. Yeah. OK. Yeah. Um, what is the show like or what was the show? <laughs> it's like? basically, I can't remember who hosted it. I'm sure it's somebody very famous that I should know, but I remember, believe it or not. Uh-huh. Um, it's not Robert Stack. He was on Solve Mysteries. Okay. I'm Robert Stack. Sure. Uh, no, uh, it, Bruce Campbell's going to host it. Oh. And the okay. original TV show was just, here's a goofy thing. Believe it or not. <laughs> okay. That's, that's pretty much it. Sure. Now it's going to be, believe it or not. <laughs> with a 
thump sound of a chin hitting a boom so, mic. So, so do you try to trick people into thinking that it's something that's real and it and it's not? I don't, don't think there was ever any fake stuff because that would kind of ruin your whole okay. thing, right? So the it's an, an actual thing, whether you believe whether it or you not, believe it or not, it is true. Well, I bet there's going to be a lot of things from Florida on there. Yeah, isn't this just imager? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't we in the old days you'd be like, hmm, well, that Eisenhower, I don't know. Right. W- what's this? Yes. Uh, man ate his own head or what? Right. Right. But now you can just share that stuff in a in Facebook imager. post. Yeah. <laughs> so this is true. I, yeah. I, I want to see a scripted, uh, believe it or not, okay. series where Bruce Campbell is the host of Believe It or Not, but then his world is turned upside down. When the real dog boy, uh, you know, gets him involved in a murder, or go meta on it. That's what I say. Yeah, that'd be more interesting, probably. <sighs> well, believe it or not, okay. that's not what it's going to be. <laughs> uh, looks like the CW has given a pilot order for a Ruby Rose Batwoman series. Okay. Don't we already have this? We've seen her in the Elseworlds crossover. Yeah. But I thought we already had an okay for Batwoman and Ruby Rose. This is it. Maybe you're from another, an else world where oh. the time moves faster. But okay. This is it. I I thought, oh, so was she created just to be like part of some of the other series and not have her own series? The answer is yes. But the way that CW works, the answer is no. She was created right. as a backdoor pilot for right. a put pilot order. For the CW. Okay. Like All right. I Barry guess I... Allen was on Arrow before right. he had his own show. This is right. just how they do it. Okay. I guess I just thought this already happened. So when so we heard that she was weird. cast and we reported on that, we yeah. should have just been like, I think that's what you were doing. You were like, well, then she's just going to have a TV show. I must have just made that leap. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, I thought we already knew this, but uh, now we officially know it, I guess. So. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, staying with Bat News, uh, it looks like the Batman, uh, the long, long delayed DC Comics film, uh, is eyeing a November start for filming. Okay. Matt Reeves is still set to write and direct. Okay. We, there's no script that we know about, although I'm sure there's something in some some stage. Well, and we don't know if Ben Affleck is going to play Batman or not. Yeah, exactly. So a little bit so. to do before November rolls around. Yeah, I would say so. We know okay. it's not going to be an origin story, and it won't be an adaptation of uh, Year One. Okay, that's all we know. That's that's not a lot of information. It could be about anything. Yep. So, all right. Um, it might be about a girl who goes to college, and she has to choose between two different guys, and then when they run out of stories, she casts a spell and goes back in time. Matt Reeves created Felicity. Oh. <laughs> Oh, God. Okay. <laughs> Along with uh, Gigi All right. Abrams. So, All right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That show is like, whoa, where did that come from? That's what I want to know. Yeah. J.J. Abrams has never done any time travel stories before. Well, yeah, I know. <laughs> but it just seemed like it was out of nowhere, right? So, yeah, it did. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, hopefully it'll be a good movie because I, I love Batman. But yeah, I don't know. We'll see. We will see. Some, but maybe, maybe we won't see. Yeah, it could just go no up. No way smoke. to know until yeah. we actually see. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> here's an interesting bit of news. Uh, Loki, remember the character Loki? Yes. Uh, he has a character of bio, as do all the characters from the films on Marvel's website. Okay. 
Um, but if you read it closely, yes. his biography on the Marvel website, you'll yeah. see that it says that he was gifted with a scepter, acted as a mind control device, but unbeknownst to him, the scepter was also influencing him, fueling his hatred over his brother Thor and the inhabitants of Earth. Oh, okay. This is a retcon. All right, yeah. To say that Loki's murderous ambition uh-huh. was... Was all due to the Tesseract? Yes, and ostensibly Thanos. Okay. So that now he's clear to be a good guy Okay. when he's in the, the Disney TV Universe. Series. Yes, or Disney Plus. Yes. Dumb. Uh, Loki series right. that is being developed. Yes. What do you think about that? Um. Well, I think it's a pretty big retcon, first of all. Um, do you know how many people Natalia Romanova has killed? A lot. Isn't, isn't that, that what, what makes her interesting, though? Isn't that part of her character? Yeah. Isn't that why she does what she does? Yeah. Why do we have to take all those bodies off of, off of Loki's Loki? tab? I don't know. I, and and I think he's more interesting if he's flawed and, like, kind of a bad guy. Um, we yeah. still root for him. Yeah. Because he's he's likable. Bucky despite was all that. literally mind-controlled yes. for his entire existence. Yes. And it, him feeling bad about all the things he did is still... The one defining thing about his character. Exactly. <laughs> so, I, I feel like you're in taking fact, they a should lot probably away. develop him beyond that yeah. at this point. Yeah. But so, I mean, that works and everybody loves him. So, what, what, who? Yeah, I know. I'm hoping everybody this, already loves Loki. I'm hoping that so. some, you know, just some junior editor got a little too excited and, and you know, I'm, I'm hoping they don't do anything drastic with this. I'm hoping they don't either. I don't want to see like, Loki like doing all these do-getter type things <laughs> like I think he's better when I mean he's the god of mischief for goodness sake I'm, I think he's better when he's sneaking around and doing stuff he shouldn't be doing and I think he can still be the, a pretty darn good anti-hero and you know maybe even like he maybe sometimes he does something that is kind of heroic, but not always, and certainly not most of the time. No, and not on Sundays. N- no, and I think he's way more interesting when he's flawed. And you know, I think maybe even from the first movie, like okay, Thor like trusts him in the beginning, and then he realizes he can't trust him, but. I mean, it seems like they've always had, like, sibling rivalry, like, ever since they were young. And their dad, I would say, would be a big part of that. He kind of pitted them against each other. So I just, I don't know. I think he's way more interesting flawed. Yeah. Um, I don't think that he's going to go all goody two-shoes all I of a sudden. I certainly hope not. But, yeah, hopefully, I don't know. Maybe they feel like the character is played out. Whereas I would say, as one of the characters who's been there pretty much from the beginning, mm-hmm. um, you have done the work of him re- rehabilitating himself. Yes. Basically. Yes. Uh, we have a few um, snags in uh, Thor Ragnarok. Yeah. Uh, but at the end, he's you know he's right there with everybody else, ready to fight Cape Blanchett. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, and he even, well. I mean, we know now that he's not dead. Right. Because it's going to be a TV show. Right. Unless they'd make the TV show before yeah, dumb. the happens in Infinity nah, War. Nah. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. Um, it just, it's, it, it's the kind of short-sightedness that 
Marvel has not displayed uh, yes. in developing their characters. Yes. And I, I really hope they retcon this retcon. So that's how I feel about that. Yeah. Well, speaking of short-sightedness, mm-hmm. uh, Todd McFarlane, the creator of Spawn, yes. uh, was interviewed recently about the upcoming uh, adaptation of Spawn, which he is directing. Oh, boy. And will star Jamie Foxx. Okay. And he has said specifically that it will have no joy. There will be no fun lines in it. It's going to be this dark, ugly, two hours worth of movie. There will be no joy. Those are his words. Those were his exact words. Well, that sounds terrible. Like, what are you doing? Are you doing a DC film? He is, yes. <laughs> He's counter-programming against Marvel. Like, Marvel, the lightness that Marvel adds to things is generally regarded as the thing that makes it succeed. Yes. Um, it's the thing that makes DC movies succeed as well, as Aquaman has I, passed yes. The Dark Knight Rises way as more the light. most money-making DC movie ever. Yes, it has way is, more light. And just look at Shazam, too. Probably China's. That's down to China more than anything else. I guess. <laughs> they love that crap. But yeah, and but he's planting his foot as he always... It, here's a guy who... Got made his initial fortune mm-hmm. by telling Marvel to screw themselves. Right. And then like the guy who says, I'll see you in hell, <laughs> and then starts saying, I'll see you in hell, over and over again until mm-hmm. people get sick of it. Mm-hmm. Jim Carrey sketch from SNL. Right. He's just telling everybody to screw themselves his entire career. Yes. And it's never worked out ever since. He told yeah. Neil Gaiman to, to screw himself. Neil Gaiman sued him and won <laughs> with the help of Marvel Comics. Yeah. Uh, it just doesn't, it hasn't worked out. And so he has never learned. And so here he is telling the movie industry and audiences to screw themselves. This is going to be a sick ass, you know, oh, this is all oh boy. I, the, the pillow starts smothering him. This is going to be a real deathbed. Does he ever think about what the audience wants? It just no. sounds like he's just doing whatever the hell he wants and no. everybody else be damned. No, but again, it's it's the effect of being this sort of visionary creator. I'm not saying that Spawn was super great or clearly didn't have legs, but it was it fit at the time. It's what he wanted to make. He put it out there. Right. If he had done it uh, 10 years earlier or later, it wouldn't have been a success, but it was the perfect thing for right then. Sure. And so it, instead of instead of being you know, realistic and being aware of the fact that he created something that was for a time, he thought that he knew what audiences wanted. And so he, he reinvented just kept making, the wheel. Well, he just, he's just like, oh, I've got my finger on the zeitgeist. It's like, no, I mean, you just made something that happened to fit into the zeitgeist. Right. We were ready to follow the adventures of a homeless, <laughs> scarred, dead guy who uh, has a shoelace in his face or, or whatever. Oh, my gosh. That's what we wanted. Not, we don't want that now. Yeah. But we're going to get it. I always used to get Spawn and Venom mixed up for some reason. Well, I don't know why. He uh, he didn't create Venom, but he definitely popularized Venom. Yeah. So there's that's, you know, yeah, it's anti-heroes. Okay. It's the 90s. Yeah, yeah, I know. Well, speaking of people who don't know what they're doing with their properties, it uh, looks like Warner Brothers has just uh, directly bro- uh, bought the Rat Pack Dune Entertainment Library. So here's what that means. Okay. Rat Pack is um, Brett Ratner's production company. Yeah. Uh, while being Problems. a terrible person, he has also been sort of stealthily uh, bankrolling uh, huge movies, uh, a lot of the DC Universe films, you know, the Snyder stuff, uh, Wonder Woman, mm-hmm. Gravity uh, was under his uh, banner. And since his sort of exit from Hollywood, it's been a fire sale on the Rat Pack stuff. Okay. And so this isn't a big surprise to anybody, but Warner Brothers has basically just footed the bill and just bought the distribution rights for all those films. So okay. 
No, they own them. Okay. And this is sort of like cutting the middleman, and the middleman in this case is Brett Ratner. Well, I remember something about Gil, what's her last name, Godot, um, like saying something like she wasn't going to work on Wonder Woman 2 underneath his banner or right. something like that. Right. And although producers are often the sort of unsung heroes in, in Hollywood, mm-hmm. um, and they are very, very... Influential. Um, yeah, but, but instrumental to making these things, which we might find out when we talk about some of Mr. Fairhofen's films. Uh, that's still, that's the dime holding up. The, Gal Gadot's a dollar, <laughs> yeah. and Brett Ratner's the dime. Yeah. So we got to get that dime out of there. Yeah. To get that dollar through. This is true. Even though nobody will remember her name in six, seven years. Oh, you think so? Well, her I mean, entire... she's not really done anything else. Her entire so. thing is traded on her looks, and when she doesn't look like that anymore. I guess... Yeah, I, I didn't create this world. Yeah, I if know. Brett Ratner wouldn't bang her, then the game's over, right? Oh my gosh, horrible! That's terrible. Okay, it's time. Mm-hmm. The Dutch master, yes. Paul Verhoeven. Yes. And his films is what we're talking about today. Mm-hmm. What do you know about the life of Paul Verhoeven? Uh, I don't know a whole lot. I know he was born in 1938 over in the Netherlands, so he lived through World War II. Yes. Um, I know that his first films were done over in the Netherlands, and then he came over to Hollywood in the 80s um, and was here for maybe like, 20, 25 years or so, and then went back over to the Netherlands. That's about what I know. I don't think he's, I'm sure he's got a house in LA still. Probably. <laughs> I think he's left completely. Right. How come you can summarize a, an entire man's life, but when it comes to a movie, you're like, well, first words appeared on the screen. I, the I words don't were. Know. <laughs> uh, it's hard to be like, to not like tell the whole story, I guess, for me, for some reason. Well, uh, you, I'll you, give it a shot. <laughs> well, you did it uh, with his life. Uh, okay. Yeah, he, he was. He was born in 38 and his family moved to The Hague uh, a few years later. Mm-hmm. So this is the very height of World War II. Yeah. Actually, not the height. It's the downward slope, but it's where we come in. <laughs> right. <laughs> so that's so the exciting the height, part for therefore. us. Yeah. And The Hague, you know, was the center of basically like the German command or whatever. So it was just getting bombed continually so this five-year-old paul is growing up just with the bombs falling like every day right so it's no wonder that a lot of his work has been dealt with war destruction violence and specifically world war ii Mm -hmm. and his first like real success uh film in uh uh, dutch holland yes netherlands so many names uh (laughs) was a a movie called turkish delight Mm -hmm. uh which starred rucker hauer Right. Uh, another Dutch name yeah. that you should know and a longtime collaborator with him. And they would go on to make a film called Soldier of Orange, uh, which was a World War II film. And sure. it's, I've heard it described, uh, we didn't see it for this show, but no. it's sort of like the male version of Black Book. Like it's about the Dutch resistance. Okay, sure. And it's very much, uh, whereas Black Book is all about the uh, moral grayness and flexibility of you know these quote-unquote heroes yes. you know, in this movement. It's just a more straightforward sort of thing. It's a sort okay. of espionage kind of heroic thriller type thing. Sure. The kind of, uh, you know, uh, you know, neo-propagandist sort of thing. These sure. guys were heroes. Right. And of course, he'd return to that with Black Book and say, eh. <laughs> a lot of these people weren't <laughs> all right. that great. Right. A lot of them sucked. Right. And of course, that 
tone of deconstruction and satire is part of all of his work mm-hmm. in Hollywood. It's like he came here and, again, I wish that we talked about Flesh and Blood, but we're going to start with Robocop. Yeah, yeah. And right away, this guy could have made a movie. What, what's your movie about? It's about a robot cop. Yes. How easy just to make it like the 2014 <laughs> Robocop film, which was right. just, you know, a action, you know, guns, 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 uh, right. spectacular kind of thing. And yet this guy has been handed, uh, you know, $13 million, a lot for the time. Uh, and he goes, no, this is going to be super subversive. Yes. We're going to, I'm going to say something. Satire. And I'm yes. going to, yeah. And every single element of this is going to be, there won't be one thing in this that's not satire. Yeah. I just think that that's fascinating. I mean, I don't know how you say balls in Dutch, <laughs> but uh, he's got him. Yeah. He's really for got sure. him. Uh, let's talk about Robocop, 1987. Yes. <laughs> I mean, we must have talked about Robocop on the show, right? I'm sure we have Ironically, at some point. People want to hear us talk about Robocop, but we're probably going to talk about it the least because it's, it's Robocop. I know. What happens at Robocop? Um, well, <laughs> let's see. It takes a man place in Detroit. Is over. Yes. Um, and uh, a man named Murphy is out with his partner Lewis and he's new to their precinct and um, they go answer a call and backup is not going to be there for a while and he gets shot to smithereens by Clarence Boddicker and his gang Um, and they swear they like killed him and like Lewis is like she gets like basically discombobulated uh and um is like got the wind knocked out of her and then she then finds she moved Murphy. to hollywood yeah. <laughs> and the story is over see right. yeah <laughs> this is like the I know. third scene of the film i know so so basically <laughs> he's turned to a robot ocp turns him into a robot <laughs> yes and uh they thought they erased his memory but that was not the case they were wrong yes He's, so he, he's part man, part machine. Yes. There, he, he's a lot. There's a lot of cop. There's a lot him. of cop. Um, <laughs> he basically goes seeking revenge on his own death. Yeah. Um, it's a big part of the movie. It's a Western. Yeah. It's a Western. Mm-hmm. It, it Down to, you know, the, the end when, when he the showdown and he shoots the guy and then the guy's like, nice shooting, son. What's yeah. your name? Right. And the um, Base of Polidora score, which I does, it sounds like it could be in The Searchers or something like that, except for the industrial clanging sort of yes. sounds that are clearly like, he heard like, robot, I can do robot. Yeah. Clang, clang. Yeah. But yeah, the whole thing is just, but in addition to being that, it's also like a s- satirical indictment of uh, consumer culture, mm-hmm. uh, of like... Uh, it, it presents violence, but it's sort of like it's Paul Verhoeven. It just has two fistfuls of cake and he's rubbing it all over his face <laughs> and he's definitely ingesting it. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's a commentary on violence while you Being know, having violent. just splashed with blood and gore. Yeah. Uh, and it's, you know, it's all those, it's an indictment of, uh, of capitalism and like just, you know, the fact that, a company owns a city, yes. <laughs> basically. Yes, and, and then the I'd the buy that for force. a dollar guy. Well, they bought it for more than a dollar. But yeah, yeah, right, exactly. Uh, and it's also got like a lot of his movies do like this subtle commentary about like it's like Star Trek. It's like the future of Star Trek. All guys and girls were all the same. 
that's cool on Gene Roddenberry's show. Mm-hmm. Paul Verhoeven makes everybody shower together. Right. <laughs> that's, that's true equality. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it's There's like, a shared locker room. All right, Paul. Yeah. Okay. Right. Uh, moving on. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, and something that I noticed, and I guess if we ever do go back and look at his uh, Dutch films, we did one of them, mm-hmm. um, but not all of them, mostly his Hollywood stuff. This guy, is, he's a really good filmmaker. Yeah. And what I mean by that is not just, like, does he have anything besides satire in him? Well, mm-hmm. when we get to Black Book, you'll find out. Right. Uh, he's got that down. But just, like, his his possession of the camera, the way it moves, the way that he sets up shots. RoboCop, uh, there's a lot of these scenes where we see POV scenes because it's what RoboCop sees. Right. But establishing that that is what RoboCop sees mm-hmm. and the way that he presents you know he hides robocop when he first we don't see him yes um we see his perspective yeah we see him from the view of the people who he is supplanting and replacing basically uh that sort of thing he doesn't do a lot of crazy like camera moves in this like he'll do that later on and but he shows a lot of um i think facility in just the way that he uh uses the camera Mm -hmm. and that gets uh, splattered and with blood <laughs> and yes. covered up by all the violence and sex in his films but it kind of like a really talented filmmaker yes I don't even know I don't know what to say what do I even say about Robocop you well, say something about Robocop I mean I would say and I think you said this it's a it's like a near perfect film um, yeah. it just the action keeps rolling the story starts and we hit the ground running and things just keep happening and uh, you know there's there's nothing that's just like air or dead weight or anything like that. And I think another thing that makes this movie so great is RoboCop is awesome, but Clarence Boddicker is like the perfect villain too. Like he is just downright evil and like will shoot you up, no questions asked. You know, he wants what he wants and he's going to get it. And I think that what makes a really great hero is also having a really great villain. Yeah. And um, we have that in this film. We have more than one villain. We do. We have two villains. Yeah. We'll we have Ronnie Cox. Ronnie Cox, the the big bad at OCP. And, you know, I think that the, boy, are we just going to compare everything to Black Book? But the moral ambiguities of Black Book are based solely in the actions of the characters. Mm-hmm. Like you, here's our spoilers for Black Book, I guess. You have characters who serve as good guys. Their function is they are completely on our protagonist's side. Yes. Up until the point where it's revealed that, no, they they've aren't. been bad guys the entire time. Yeah, exactly. And none of their actions make any sense. Right. Whereas in this film, you have everybody is acting in their own self-interest, except our heroes, but yet there's there's an ambiguity that still makes you like Bob Morton is an asshole. Mm-hmm. Like he is a terrible person mm-hmm. who doesn't care about stopping that lady with the horrible wig from getting raped. Right. Uh, in an alleyway. Right. He just wants his product to succeed. But at the same time, you start to identify with him because unlike Dick Jones, he's kind of a straight dealer. Like yes. he will. Well, straight dealer. I mean, he'll screw you, but. He's just, he's got this product. He wants to succeed. All he wants to do is just have a Coke party once he succeeds. Right. And then he is like just brutally like murdered yes. by Boddicker at the order of Dick Jones. And you're like, yeah. well, he didn't deserve that. I mean, he's an asshole, but he didn't deserve what to he got. get blown up in his own house. Exactly. Yeah. Um, now it's time to erase that mistake. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and yeah. And so there's just like, like you said, like 
there's nothing is wasted. No. In this film, uh, a film which is not that long. It's 102 minutes. Mm-hmm. Uh, you That's unheard of. Yeah. In fact, you couldn't. I don't think you could make an action movie like this. Uh, for only 102 minutes uh, in today's sort of Hollywood. Yeah. Um, and nothing... I think it was definitely a product of its time, for sure. <laughs> well, you know, it's a product of the 80s. Yeah. It's like commenting on the 80s, and the 80s are like, well, we're not done yet. Right. <laughs> when the ball drops, uh, when uh, Tango and Cash's balls drop in that prison shower, right. that's when the 80s are over. Right, exactly. Uh, but you've got these great moments that follow Murphy, you know, as RoboCop's story, and he's... Notice that he doesn't have a partner. It's all about partners. It's right. really important. Yeah, he just but, drives but by himself. But he doesn't have a partner. You know, no. He's out by himself. So he has nobody to talk to. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't talk to himself because he's a robot. Right. He doesn't have like an inner monologue. And so you get that great scene where he goes back to his wife's house. Yes. After she and his kid have moved out after mm-hmm. Murphy's death. And then you see <laughs> the, uh, the, you know, robot... Uh, real estate agent yes. giving him the tour but then Murphy's having these like flashbacks, flashbacks which are like memory programs that are running you know in his robot brain mm-hmm. that sort of meld into the thing and as it goes you see him get angrier and angrier and you can't Peter Weller's performance for a guy who's literally not supposed to have any emotions right. is, is great you know I compare it to all the honor and and, uh, and uh, glory that uh, Brent Spiner's got over the years, you know, playing sure. Data. Yeah. Um, but it's like the same thing. And he went through a lot in this movie because, of course, the suit is like 100 pounds. It's yes. a nightmare to wear. Right. And apparently he hadn't done much before this, you know. He was kind of unknown. Mm-hmm. But he... Um, was chosen specifically because he's like a tall, but he's lithe and sort of slim. Sure, yeah. Which he is, clearly. Because uh, they had initially looked at other actors who were like, you know, bulkier. The Rucker Hauer was, was looked at for this, but okay. he was just too big. So when Rob Botton, yeah. that's an important name you're yeah. going to hear a couple times in mm-hmm. this show, uh, was designing the suit, they're like, he, he won't, he can't fit through doors. Um, already Peter Weller couldn't actually get into a car. Whenever you see Robocop pull up, we yeah. cut away to the people going, oh no, it's Robocop. And then you see a guy just standing up out right. of a car because yes. you, you could not get in a car. But uh, yeah, but the suit was really big and they didn't know how big it was going to be. And so Weller had trained with like a mime or like a dance instructor for okay. how they wanted to like move as a robot. Sure. And it was going to be totally different. He was going to be sort of like more because apparently this was like based on and i was not familiar um with this but it was based on like a japanese uh comic book character oh, um okay space sheriff gavon or right. like or he was like in a it was like a sentai type thing sure like a power ranger thing sure so he was going to be a little different like he was going to move faster and be different and then they got he got into the suit or at least like one of the early prototypes of the suit before they started filming and went back to his mind guy and he's like it's all different. You gotta, we gotta change it all. Sure. Because none of them, he couldn't do any of the moves that he had practiced. Okay. So they had to go back to the drawing board and come up with the sort of stilted plodding, way, that he... sort of yeah, you know, robotic way that he ends up moving, which is, sure. is great. Yeah. I think it's great too. It's um, so consistent too, like because yeah. he never, you never catch him not doing that. Yes. And you um, get the idea that he's. You could beat this guy by dropping a bunch of girders on him because <laughs> he's just not quick enough to get out of the way. Well, that's true. <laughs> um, and I think you mentioned the music before. I think it's really great in this film. Like he has his own theme that's really yeah, catchy. Yeah, the leitmotif, sir. Yep. Um, and I think helps move the plot along really well too. Um, and then there, I mean, 
just a just a really great scene. This is maybe apropos of nothing, but just a really great scene is when he catches up to Clarence in the factory and he just throws him through all those glass walls. <laughs> yeah. Um uh it's just really great to see cinematically and like Yeah, and when you it's, it's, it's just it's, fun. It's both sort of tough it's both complicated and simple at the same time Mm -hmm. because it's basically like you said you know you could see this if you took the robot out and it was just Clint Eastwood is maybe Dirty Harry or maybe a different cop right and he's shot in the head and everybody thinks he's dead but he gets better you know but he's not on duty and so he goes out and he takes out these guys one by one like that's that's what this is only he's a robot instead Mm -hmm. and so you get the thing where he, you make everything explicit with the idiom that you've picked. So, you know, we've got plenty of movies where a character is finally confronts the person who has killed their wife or ruined their life or whatever, mm-hmm. but then they have to restrain themselves from killing them because it's the wrong thing to do. Right. But Robocop literally has a directive that tells him, he can't Don't do that. Kill you know? anybody at OCP. Yeah, and then while he's doing yeah. that, he's also kind of interrogating the guy, and the guy's like, "It's it's Dick Jones. I'm for Dick Jones." Yeah. So in the cop movie, he's like, "He told me that he works. I'm going to go talk to Dick Jones." But RoboCop has a literal recording of that because he's a robot, right? <laughs> so he you know plays that later. Yes. Uh, yeah, it's just great. Like the way that it takes its ridiculous premise completely seriously and plays it totally straight mm-hmm. except for the ridiculous commercials about Nukem and stuff right. Like that, right. which is that's just like that's getting you know cinnamon twists with your order like that's just a fun extra thing yeah which apparently I think they had always planned to do that stuff but they really doubled down once for Hoven realized we're getting an X rating for this like they give X's out for Using butter as lubricant, you know, for like sex, right. which I can't believe I'm not getting in trouble for in this movie. Right. Uh, but it, it got an X rating and had to be recut like 11 times before they could finally get an R. Oh, really? Just for the violence. Oh, my gosh. And so he knew that that was going to be a problem and that people would see this as a real dark and gritty thing when he didn't want that. He wanted to make commentary, but he also wanted it to be fun, you know, popcorn. Right. And so he had to stick these things in. That were specifically fun as anecdotes yeah. or, or uh, yeah, at antidotes to the horrific violence that was going on. You know, a guy's hand gets blown off. Yes. But then also, boing, this dinosaur thinks that car is huge. Right. It's a really big car. Yeah. It gets 8.3 miles to the gallon. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, my God. Joe yes. Cox's laugh. Yeah. Um. I mean, we could talk the entire show, just be RoboCop. We <laughs> so is, is there anything else you want to say about RoboCop? Just get it out. Um, I I think it um, it's it's neat that like Lewis figures out that he's Murphy like right away because yep. he like flips his gun like how Murphy used to, <laughs> yeah. and um, then she really wants to help him. Which is yeah, that's such a and again, it just services the entire thing because this is a kind of a western. Yeah. So you have the character do that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's because of TJ Laser or whatever. Right. But then it's also the thing that, you know, not only tells her, because she recognizes his chin, I assume. Right. But also tells her he's in there somewhere. Yes. It's you. Like he has some memory of yeah. being Murphy still. Why is it super important that she convinces him that it's it's you? To just get him back? Or? Um, I don't know. Like maybe to regain his humanity a little bit. Right, but why is it on? Everybody in this world is pretty cynical, and they all have to worry about getting shot forty-seven times 
in their daily jobs. So why is it important to Ann Lewis that she reawakens uh, Murphy? Uh, Well, I think she feels (laughs) responsible. It's good that she does. Yeah, she feels responsible for his death. Yeah. Because she had to look at a guy's dick instead of covering him. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) That's weird. Yeah, I know. That's, That's probably the one. That's the, the one chink. thing. That's the chink in the robotic armor here. Yeah, right? yeah. <laughs> I know. It's a little weird. It is a little weird. And it's the black character. Yeah, I know. Like, what are we doing? Yeah, I know. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's fantastic. Uh, you uh, pointed out, oh, this is Orion Pictures, eh? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes, it is. Yeah. It's Orion Pictures. I thought we'd stop and talk about Orion Pictures real fast. Okay. Uh. Orion Pictures was an amazing, amazing film company that gave us so many things. Okay. Uh, before its untimely demise. End. Yeah, um, an untimely end uh, that was. Um, <laughs> well, let's talk about its successes first. Okay. Let's talk about its successes first. Okay. Um, it uh, here's some fi- uh, films that came out of Orion Pictures. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. Amadeus. Okay. Platoon. Mm-hmm. Dances with Wolves. All right. Silence of the Lambs. Sure. What are what's something that those four films have in common? They're violent. Amadeus. Well, I guess Amadeus isn't. <laughs> um, they're considered classics. You kill my father. <laughs> uh, they're all Best Picture winners. Oh, I did not realize that. Okay. Yes. Here's some other films: uh, Hannah and Her Sisters. Okay. Mississippi Burning. Sure. Um, some other, some other ones. <laughs> <laughs> bankruptcy, and we're going to talk about bankruptcy uh, a lot when we uh, talk about Paul Verhoeven's films. Not because not his fault, but right. sort of woven into the story of Hollywood. Uh, Orion Pictures was formed um, partially from like Warner Brothers and also um, some people from United Artists. United Artists uh, was a also a, a successful film studio mm-hmm. that um, basically fell apart after. Um, Heaven's Gate, which was a huge oh. um, flop. Okay. And so United Artists, I think, stuck around still, but not really in the same form. Um, and so it kind of came together, and it was just, they're making Hoosiers, you know? They're they're making um, Le Platoon, you know? They're making sure. a bunch of different things. And um, just making, they're making UHF. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Didn't really help, though. Uh, the hot spot. Mm-hmm. You like the hot spot? I don't remember the oh, hot no, no, spot. Oh, no, no, wait. You're, you, Boy and His Dog. That's the uh, Tom oh, Johnson movie yes. that, that you've seen. Yeah. Uh, and so it's weird because they, they had all these films and apparently just weren't making like, they had a couple flops, but. Sure. I don't know. Just kind of things kind of fell apart. Okay. Well, do we know how they fell apart or are they just. Well, I don't have the books in front of me. Okay. All right. But for a long time there, they were really pretty much at the top and they were making, um, amazing films yeah and then they made stuff like they had they basically had money problems they got reorganized and kind of came out of bankruptcy and made robocop 3 clifford (laughs) uh the car 54 where are you okay with like Lindsay lohan or something like that uh was she in that i thought she was maybe i'm maybe i'm wrong i don't know i could be wrong about that I mean, I know Fred Gwynn wasn't in it, but okay. no, it like it was like a David Johansson movie or something like that. Okay, not great. No, so you know Buster Poindexter. Okay, uh, so not great. Mm. Uh, what your Buster Poindexter movie failed? Yeah, but anyway, for a, a shining brief time, you knew that when you saw Orion, Orion Pictures, Pictures, this is gonna be a good movie. Okay, it's a good, it's a good movie. All right. Yeah. 
That's too bad that they kind of fell apart. But. Yeah. Um, and we're going to talk about uh, Mario Kassar and uh, Carol Co. pictures uh, sure. in a little bit. But uh, mm-hmm. let's move on to uh, a um, Mario Kassar movie. All right. Uh, also directed by Paul Verhoeven. Mm-hmm. Uh, screenplay is written by R- Ronald Shusett, Dan O'Bannon, who okay. created Alien. All right. And also uh, Gary Goldman, who's a screenwriter and has worked on a couple different uh, Verhoeven projects. It's a movie called Total Recall. Yes. Based on a Philip K. Dick story Mm -hmm. called We Can Remember It For You Wholesale. Sure. Starring Arnold Schwarzenegger Schwarzenegger. and some other people that you don't know and some other people that are in Paul Verhoeven movies. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Uh, What happens in uh, the old old Total Recall? Can you remember? Um, (laughs) Yeah. I can remember. Um, so Arnold Schwarzenegger plays um, Doug um, Quaid. Quaid. Yeah. Quaid. Um, and he's kind of unsatisfied with his life. He's like a construction worker, I think, somewhere on Earth. I don't know. It's a futuristic society. But he always has these dreams about that he's on Mars with this brunette lady and he's married to Sharon Stone. Demure so, and sleazy. Yeah, I know. Um, and, uh, so he hears about this place called Recall on the train. Recall, Recall, Recall. Yes. And they, like, can give you vacation memories. Like, you can go to Mars there and, like, they're like, oh, you could be a special agent if you want. He's like, well, uh, that sounds great to me. Uh, and then he, like, (coughs) picks his ideal woman and it's, like, a brunette who's sleazy and demure, as you said. And he goes, which is funny because the three options and come on, I don't know anything about digital pimping, but you're going to need a little more than three. All women can be one of three things or a combination of two of them. Yeah. But it is interesting that the one he doesn't pick is athletic when he's all he does is just drink uh, nut shakes, protein shakes and powder and stuff like that. And then his wife is apparently into fitness, too, because all we see of her is, well, she banging Arnold Schwarzenegger yeah. and she's playing, playing tennis yeah. yeah yeah you know in a um, virtual thing um leotard type thing yes. so it's a very sporty kind of thing yes if this was remade now I know it was remade now uh, they'd yeah. have a lot of athleisure yes uh, where yes but anyway that so he does not pick what his wife is at all no he does not um and something goes wrong uh before they even implant the memories of him being a special agent he's like get out of here you blew my cover yeah exactly and they're like freaking out and they like inject him with stuff and try to erase his memories and like get him in a cab get him out of here johnny cab yeah and they never heard of douglas quaid yes uh robert picardo voice of the johnny cab yes and Honestly, I think they modeled the the way it looks a bit. Yeah. after him a little yeah, bit. I can see it. Um, that guy is all over the place. Yeah. You know, everybody knows him now as the doctor from Voyager. But yes. he had been doing so much. It always been around. In many of the films that we've seen for this show. He's yeah. Been, the Howling. Howling. He was in Gremlins 2. Yeah. Uh, the, the Howling. Rob Botton, again. Yeah. Who also does uh, special effects on this movie as well. Yes. So. Um. So he goes back home and he's like, they're trying to kill me. And uh, from work. Yeah. And um, she's like, what are you talking about? Tell me what's going on. Exactly what's going on. And then like the he goes in the, the bathroom, movie. he comes out and she's like shooting at him. It's the exact plot of the movie. Yeah, I know. 
You can, we, uh, we could get sued under the copyright. Because right. 60 years have not gone by yet. Come on. <laughs> so uh, he gets a suitcase from a guy and it includes like a message from him. Who is nobody. No. Um, I'm not sure. I'm probably supposed to recognize that actor. Uh, I don't. But no. that guy never comes back. Nope. Uh, and is not important in any way, which no. is one kind of weird thing. Yeah. You'd think that it, that would be, I don't know how it would end up being um, like George or, or you know, uh, Dean Norris's character or something sure. like that. Maybe he's got a hood over his face or something. Right. you think that that would have some connection. That's just some guy. Yeah. And then we find out later that this whole thing is a huge con job, you know, done by Hauser himself. Yeah. So that guy is a big loose end to me. Like, does that guy still work for Cohagen too? Probably not. So he's just... He, he probably got shot or something. Oh, the mullet guy? Yeah. You think that he was actually part of the resistance, and so he was duped as well. And so Hauser said to him, like, I'm going to, you know, if I get in trouble on Earth, I need you to bring me this suitcase, because this is for the good. This is for Mars. This, that's this, what he this said, idiot. anyways. This, yeah. This dipshit. Yeah. Okay, well, I feel bad for that guy then. Yeah, I know. He probably got killed by uh, Michael Ironside off camera. Probably. <laughs> um, so, yeah, he gets a message from himself as Hauser, who is a special agent. Um, and he's like, get your ass to Mars. Get your ass to Mars. Um, and uh, it pretty much takes off from there. And Michael Ironside is chasing after him. So you just like to him. set it up and then you go. And then yeah. the hilarity begins. Yeah. Okay, that's fine. Okay. As long as we, there's an end in sight. I, yes. don't, I don't really care. Yeah. Uh, yes. So funny story about this film. Okay. This film uh, is a uh, Carol Coe uh, Pictures release. Mm-hmm. Carol Coe is another one of those things that's like, if Orion is going for the the Mississippi burnings and the uh, and the uh, best pictures, yeah. then Carol Coe just wants to rock your face. Okay, that's why they deliver films like Terminator Two, Judgment Day, Total Recall, Basic Instinct, yeah, yeah, uh, the Ram- Rambo, right? That's Carol Coe. Okay, a lot of James Cameron, a lot of high octane. Yes, kind of like the Bruckheimer films before Bruckheimer was around. Sure. Uh, and then, of course, it all fell apart thanks to Showgirls. <laughs> and also Great. Cutthroat Island. Okay. Cutthroat Island was a massive bomb that basically destroyed one of the funnest, coolest pr- uh, production, production companies, companies around. Yeah. But it's interesting because um, so Mario Casar is this like, big Hollywood producer guy. Uh, so is Dino De Laurentiis. Sure. And originally, he had the rights to this. Really? Yes. Okay. And it was being developed with the guys from Alien. Okay. Right? Okay. Uh, I think, do you know, I can't remember if Dino had any involvement in, in Alien or not. I don't think so. But anyway, um, I do know that Roger Corman passed on making Alien, and then of course Alien became huge, and then he made his own movie called like Alien Intruder that was a ripoff of Alien. But anyway, wow. <laughs> so, uh, so they were developing the movie, and it was kind of bouncing around. It wasn't really um, getting any traction, and... If you read about Dan O'Bannon, he's a real creative guy, but he's a contentious guy. Okay. He fights a lot with like the producers, and sure. he wants it his way. And mm-hmm. even now, like if you talk to him about Alien, he's like, Alien's crap. Like I could have been better if you'd gone with my ideas. Okay. Okay, dude. Okay. All right. But anyway, uh, Delentris couldn't get this thing made. He uh, d- brought David Cronenberg in at one point. Okay. And some of David Cronenberg's input did make it into the film. Uh, okay. I'm not sure what it was, and he was not given any credit, so we'll never know. Uh, and eventually, uh, Dune uh, crashed and burned at the box office. That sure. was Delorentis' De- yeah. uh, De- 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 idea. Okay. So he basically just said, 
screw it. Like, I don't want to do this movie anymore. I'm out of sci-fi. I don't want to do sci-fi yep. anymore. And that's yeah. when okay. Arnold Schwarzenegger was able to step in. All right. He stepped in, um, basically, like, bought the rights or just having him attached meant that this was going to get made. Sure, And yeah. he personally picked Paul Verhoeven. Really? Uh, well, he had read for Robocop. Okay. And the Robocop was a modest smash, but still a success. Uh-huh. And was like, yeah, give me that. I'm Austrian. Give me that Dutch guy. Yeah. Okay. So once Ver- Verhoeven came on, that brought Gary Goldman, that brought Ronnie Cox, that brought all the... Rob Botten. Yep, Rob Botten came along. Okay. I was just thinking, like, the name of the bad guy in the film is Vilos Kohagen, which is, like, the Duchess name I can think of. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. So, yeah, that's kind of how that all came about. And then they just went to Rob Botten and went, go nuts. Right. We're going to need a bunch of Ronald Schwarzenegger heads going... <laughs> and one lady's head going... Two, Two weeks. weeks. Right. Yeah. Uh, this also received an X rating uh, when it was initially cut together. Okay. So they had to uh, kind Probably of work around that. Probably due to all the violence. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it was uh, hugely successful. It made about $260 million on a, um, it's probably about around $60 million budget. Okay. So yeah. that's huge. Yeah. $60 million in today money would be like probably $130, $140 million, mm-hmm. And $261 million would be. Like six hundred, sure. seven hundred million. Yeah, huge. Yeah, we're talking Aquaman money here. Sure. Yeah. What do you think about this film? I think it is not trying to do the same thing as RoboCop. Yeah. But it is not quite as successful as RoboCop. Um. Yeah, I think there are some like flaws in the film, but I do think it's largely entertaining. Um. I do think it's a you know, it's a great sci-fi film. Uh, I think they really took Philip K. Dick's story and ran with it. Um, it's, you know, it's kind of a spy thriller thing as well. Um, I really like how Sharon Stone's character, like, turns on him. Um, that was a, a nice, you know, surprise and everything. And they there are other people turning on him, like, later in the film. Like, Benny the cab driver... Like you thought was like a good guy, and he's even a mutant, and then he turns on him. Yeah, um, he's got five kids to feed. Yeah, then he changes it to four, and then he's like, "I'm not even married." Yeah, so, um, I think uh, here's something that you can respect. Yeah, here's the difference between this and RoboCop to me. Okay, RoboCop is for its ridiculous premise, very simple. Yes, as we said before, whereas this is just. A collection of and thens, <laughs> you know. I wouldn't it's disagree like, with that. It, it's it's great because it starts off. I'm a construction worker. To I just terraformed Mars into being able to support human life. Like there is right. an acceleration. It goes to eleven, yes. but it just continually goes to eleven. And I think it's paced okay, but it just it never ever stops to the point where there, eventually these reveals become meaningless. Like. Benny's helps him out for a while and then suddenly Benny's evil. Yeah, and, I know. I'm going to drill you, sucker. Like, yeah. <laughs> who cares? Like, it's just one more thing. He's vanquished. Him attacking with a drilling machine, which was set up before. Yes. Breaks open the wall that allows them to get to the next part. Yes. And the next thing. And then the big bad guy, Ronnie Cox. Just shows up <laughs> with a gun. Scary. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. And there are little touches of interesting kind of stuff. Like, I like the fact that like like you said before, Clarence Boddicker, also one of the most Dutch names I've ever heard, yeah, uh, is 
like the ultimate bad guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, his glasses are just to make him look like Himmler, according to, to Paul Verhoeven. Right. Uh, but then poor uh, Richter is like totally different. Like Richter's not a good guy either. Uh, mm-hmm. He shoots a rat. He just wanted to eat that Milky Way. Yeah, I know, right? Uh, or Three Musketeers. Whatever. A lot of nougat. Yeah. Um, but he's but he's like a dyed in the wool company man, and like when That's like Cohagen is yelling at him, he's almost like. Sorry, boss. <laughs> he's like got these emotions, and then he's—they have this. He's married to Sharon Stone, uh, yeah, which is an yeah. interesting wrinkle, but is never really developed. You—you th- you feel like he would kill uh, Hauser or Quaid no matter what because it's his job, not because like you killed my wife. Well, and then he gets his arms ripped off for his trouble. <laughs> I know. Well, I think he gets um, more resolve that he's going to go after him once Sharon Stone is killed. Yeah, but there's a movie where he's the hero. (laughs) That's true. He's trying to get this this crazy uh, ex-secret agent guy who's screwing everything up. And, like, you know, he's told, no, don't kill him, so he doesn't kill him. Right. But then he gets the okay, and he's like, it's about time. It's about time, yeah. Yeah. So tell tell Caldecott to get all the guns out. Right, exactly. Michael Emo is also a guy who you'll once you know who he is, you'll see him mm-hmm. um, here and there, but not as much as Robert Picardo. I, Guys I everywhere. I wish he was in it more. Yeah. So, um, uh, and um, uh, Melina is is a zero. <laughs> I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah, unfortunately, she's supposed um, to be. Here's your casting, right? And she's never really. She hasn't been in a ton of stuff. Uh, Rachel um, Tacoten. She's supposed to be. You've got okay. So we'll we'll talk about how Sharon Stone is maybe not a great actress uh, right. for our next film, right? But she is Sharon Stone. Yes. Right. Yes. He's like, oh boy, my humdrum life. Forget with this. my hot wife. Let's oh. go with this like zero charisma brunette. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> That's what I want to do. Yeah, exactly. Because she's got a yellow bra on. I know. Uh, what? <laughs> I, I don't she's know. So crazy. I don't, know, I don't know about that. Yeah, I know. Um. And then, like, what's his name? Kawato? Is that his Kawato, name? Kawato, yeah. Yeah. Um, the big reveal of Kawato. It's a good reveal. Um, but the it's guy... introduced so late. I know. And then it's like, you've got to really do this, do that. Blam, dead. Exactly. <laughs> um, I think that uh, the TV show Sabrina the Teenage Witch did kind of a call out to Total Recall with Kawato. Really? really? They're um they're they get attacked by this one demon who like makes them all fall asleep and have nightmares. And Aunt Hilda has a nightmare that the um she's dating the principal at Sabrina's school and his twin brother who he ate in the womb is sure. on his stomach. Okay. So yeah. it's a little back to total recall, I think. Um do you, yeah, and then something else is like the movie is not I don't I wouldn't put it past Verhoeven or the people that he writes with, his screenwriters, to really lean into the what is is this real, is this not real. But they don't. No. Like it's in the movie. Um I do like the sort of, you know, challenge to it where the guy's like, You're in a dream, Mr. Mr. Quaid. Right. Take that pill. Right. Swallow it. Yeah, and then he like, sees that single bead of sweat. Right, but you couldn't imagine that your dream could sweat. <laughs> like, why? Why is that for you? The, the, the clue. deciding factor. I know. And they have the dream. He's dreaming at the beginning. It, basically, it's like you know, it's no Inception. Like I, I remember people right. thinking or saying when it came out that it's like, oh, this is like 
maybe this all is all a dream, you right. know, and maybe, and he is just having a schizoid embolism on, on the table or whatever. Right. But it's not. No, it's not. And I bet that they, the powers that be probably, you know, said, we got to make it more clear that he's a hero. We yeah. don't want to question that. It's no. Arnold Schwarzenegger. You wouldn't want, you know, Commando to wrap up and it turns out that Matrix has just been in a hospital bed this entire time no. dreaming that he's killing a guy with a pipe and saying, let off some steam. Although that would make more sense than what actually happens in the film. <laughs> It's hard to believe. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, and like Melina, I don't I don't know how she had her change of heart. I mean, it's a good thing that she did because she comes and she beats up Sharon Stone. But like, where did she come from? How did she know he was there? Yeah, there's, you know. Right. And a smarter movie would have him question like, this is all... This is a little too easy. Yeah. Doesn't a dream just keep going and then and then and then? Right. Yeah. Exactly. Well, this is real life. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, Doesn't mean I don't like it. No. <laughs> I, I still really enjoyed the film. Yeah. It's a lot of fun still. Yeah. So, say goodbye to fun. Okay. Bye, fun. <laughs> it was nice knowing you. We're, we're going from sleazy and demure to just athletic. Uh, as we talk about the 1992 neo-noir erotic thriller, Basic Instinct. Yeah. Which you can't, I mean, it made $350 million on a budget of uh, $50 million. Yeah. And my thing is like, where? Where was the $50 million? I don't know. You could have shot this for Probably. a quarter of that and it would have been almost exactly the same. Driving up and down the stairs in, in San well, Francisco all the time? I mean, maybe the homes that they rented... Or, you know, paid for shooting in or something like that. Look, many famous rich people will donate their homes to be in a movie because then they can say that their home is in a movie. And also, when they resell it, it's the the house from Basic Instinct or whatever. Right, exactly. Can you, here's a, I do a lot of research. um, So I tend to know things or seem like I know things um, that I just read off a screen. But, can you explain to me what the deal is with Michael Douglas and San Francisco? I don't know what the connection is. Now, but I like, know that his one of his first big roles was in a TV series called Streets of San Francisco, oh. <laughs> where he um, played a copper or whatever. So well, we got yeah. that. Yeah. But we've seen a couple Michael Douglas movies yes. in the past few months. Yes. And they're, they all take place in San Francisco. Yeah, I know. Ant-Man? Yeah. Uh, the game? Yeah. This? I know. What is the thing with him in San Francisco? I don't know, but that's a really good question. Except for the fact that his career started, <laughs> like I San said. Francisco. <laughs> but, but I mean... Maybe he feels like it's a good luck place Sharon Stone him. doesn't live on Action Jackson Drive. No. She should. <laughs> Be awesome. Um, maybe he just feels like it's a good luck location for him. It's, <laughs> I don't know. It's not that far from LA, so... Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. Um, you know how Wall Street took place in San Francisco? What? Stop. What happens in Basic Instinct? Um, well, we open on two people having sex. Um, the woman. Oh, that's right. You always have to start at the beginning. Yeah. The woman <laughs> ties the man to the bed with a white silk scarf, and then she starts stabbing him with an ice pick. And then we fast forward to when the cops come to the house, and it's murder mystery. We never saw the woman's face. We just saw she had blonde hair. Um, so it's kind of a secret from the audience as well. Not really. But not really. There are other ways to identify someone. And when you see as much of the actress in this film as you do, it's clearly the same actress. Yeah. 
Uh, but Michael Douglas and his partner Gus are assigned to the case. Um, so they start looking into it and they interview the guy's girlfriend who's Sharon Stone. Yeah. Um, and, uh, they suspect her, but they need. She is Catherine Trammell. Yes. And she is a writer. Um, she's written some sleazy murder mystery mystery novels. novels. And one of them she wrote was like a old rock and roll star got. Uh, killed by his girlfriend with an ice pick after they were having sex. So, right. which is, is that the climax of the book? These don't sound yeah, like very good books. I know, right? <laughs> I think it's a climax. Um, so You're, and like her okay. whole thing. I won't touch that line if you want. Okay. okay. Anyways, her whole thing is like it's an it's basically an alibi, and they said that this is what she was going to say. Like, why would I do? Right. What? Stephen Tobolowsky comes on to tell us <laughs> in no uncertain terms, and everything in this movie is at 11 yes the violence or the deaths the yes. horniness this is the horniest movie ever made oh yeah but even like when people let's say for instance you were in a bar and you ran into the ia officer that was prosecuting you over the accidental shooting deaths of some tourists that you did when you were high on cocaine and right. let's say you had a disagreement would you be like stop riding me man oh go home you're drunk or would it be hey fuck you you better back off you better back off <laughs> like, would it be that because that's what it is. That is what it is. And then your sometime girlfriend comes in and she's like, you leave him alone. Yeah. And then you go, let's get out of here. And yeah. And you go home and you have incredibly rough sex. <laughs> yes. Everything is just at 11 all yes. the time in this film. Yeah. No, I would agree with that. Except for the person who should be the most intense and is instead an icy zero. And that is Catherine Trumel. Yeah. I don't think okay, this film works at all. No. I've heard people say, because it was, remember, it was a huge deal because it was controversial. Yes. And um, it spawned, unfortunately, like a whole line of these like, you know, Sleazy, sexy murder, murder thriller. It basically gave like, you know, Madonna <laughs> an extended uh, lease on her acting career after um, suddenly seeking Susan. Now she could like do these F movies. Yeah. Uh, no thanks no. Uh, to that. And people, I've heard people like defend this as like, you know, it's like, look, it's it's not a bad like detective movie or, or whatever. And you've got the trappings of, you know, the, the seduction and everything that's going on. I disagree. Yeah. I don't think it's that great. No, it's Especially not Especially considering great. there's no mystery. She did it. I know. She did it the whole time. I know. It was her. I know. And I think that that shows through in the sort of extremely punchy like middle act not michael douglas looking great at 49 or whatever he was yeah uh where it's just him meeting people he meets sharon stone he meets jim triplehorn he meets uh, uh gus uh, his partner yeah. um george denenza or whatever and it's just like him going i don't think she didn't do it she, god man you can't let her get she's got that great a puss you know and he's like and then he's like she's she's crazy i'm not crazy she's crazy and it's just him talking to three people over and over, over having the same conversations yeah. for like 25 minutes yeah i know it's boring and it's repetitive yeah i won't i don't disagree with you and, and the movie's and 100 the movie's 128 minutes long it's like it could have been a, a robocop <laughs> you know it could have been real streamlined yeah and and I think it gets sloppy towards the end too. I really do. Like I think the ultimate plot works out. Okay. Well, so back to my thing about Stephen Tobolowsky. He reads the book and he's mm-hmm. like, "She would be totally crazy to I don't know how much Stephen Tobolowsky right. is, yeah. but like 
you know, she'll say that we said that it couldn't be her because why would she write a book about it? Right. But she is a stone cold killer who will eat your face or whatever. Right. Right. Uh, it's not bad when I think about it. It's all right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Thanks. The faintest <laughs> of phrase with which to hey. do my Stephen Tobolowsky uh, impersonation. Uh, so if that's the whole thing. Now another two hours and the movie's over. Right. Uh, but it's, I don't understand why she did it. And I think it's the movie's fault that we never get a sense of who she is. Mm-hmm. She's she's a provocateur. We mm-hmm. know that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that they specifically, and this is written by Joe Esterhaus, who we talked about before. Um, supposedly he wrote this before Flashdance and... That other movie that he's famous for, I can't remember. Like, apparently, like, this was always his baby. Like, he wanted to get this out there. Okay. This great idea he had. Yeah. And it's very specifically, we are never meant to feel comfortable with um, Catherine Trimmel. No, and you never do. Every scene that we see her in, she is different. And I think they think that they were really pulling something off. They're really making her mercurial, you know, and have all these faces. Mm -hmm. And instead, she's just completely inconsistent as a character. Yeah. And I know that she's lying and manipulating people for a lot of it. But you think there'd be some, like, core that we could go back to of the character. And there really isn't. Yeah. Up until the end where I think that we – she's kind of the good guy. Do you know what I mean? Like, this movie – uh, identifies with her right she wins yes and it's about the story of this you know cold murderer who i guess finds love and decides to not be a murderer anymore right because she wants to be with michael douglas yeah <laughs> so looking at it from that perspective it's like what if the joker was the good guy like she pulls this off like she mm-hmm. writes this book years ago or was it recent i can't remember anyway she writes this book officer guy and I guess she already knew who Shooter was. Yeah. Maybe she was obsessed with him before that. Uh-huh. But we are not given access to her thoughts, so we don't know. And it's a perfect setup because he used to date a girl who she dated in um, college. college. Yep. And one of them was obsessed with the other. We never know which. But yeah. let's face it, Gene Triplehorn's character is a little goofy. Yeah. And as far as we know, did kill the DA. Right. Although I don't think it's ever resolved. No, it's not. So she has this perfect situation where... She's able to, also, she's a good writer, I guess, because she's able to, like, maybe she was just dating this rock star, and she's like, well, I don't have to kill him, so I want to write a book about a lady that's dating a rock star. Right. And she just punches that out in six months. Yeah. It's it's too, it's so perfect. It is, it is so, per- Stephen Tobolowsky's right. It's yeah. so perfect. Yeah. It's like a get out of murder free card. Yeah. I you could just go, nobody would ever believe that this is real. Yes. I just go murder this guy. Well, and. <laughs> and then Gus has got to go. Yeah. So. So, like, Beth was, who's the psychologist, was, like, framed for these murders, but it's unclear how she knew to show up at the apartment building that Gus gets killed at. So that looks weird. Uh, You know, this is a time of, like, beepers and memos and stuff. I'm sure Catherine just told her, you know, oh, this is is Nikki. I need to meet you or something like that. Right. And she supposedly got a message from Gus, but the police later checked and found nothing. Oh, well, yeah. Yeah. if she wasn't the killer and she used the stairs, this is my question. Okay. How did she not pass the killer or the rain slicker and all or, or see the discarded items? Because she would have had to see the discarded items or the killer on the stairs unless there's a separate staircase. And then why does she reach for her keys when Nikki like goes to shoot her? Because we set up the Bart Simpson 
keys. Also, he's not a cop anymore, right? No, he's cop, technically not famous supposed to be for on shooting the, people. Yeah. Solves murder by shooting one of his coworkers. Yeah. It's gonna be one. It's gonna be a push. They'll be yeah. like, "Good job. You want to take early retirement then? Yes. <laughs> Live with your." fabulously wealthy like girlfriend. novelist uh former murder suspect girlfriend yeah who they talk about how the rock star she kills is rich i think they say he's worth five million and he's got a club or something like that she's worth like 130 million like, i know she's way more famous and like rich than he is yeah i know which they show with her all of her sports cars and her right. houses and stuff like that well and it's not like he leaves a will giving her money to him, so it's not like that's the yeah. There's no motive. motive. Like, why would she kill him unless she's just she just wanted to see if she get away with it or something. She needed to attract Michael Douglas, but how did she know he'd get the case? Yeah, I know. I I how I many don't years did you it. spend on this, Joe? <laughs> I know. And then also, Gus died the way he did in the shooter book, but the only people who have seen that. Are Catherine, who wrote it herself, and Shooter. Right. So why would Beth kill Gus that way? Yeah. How would she have access to the book? Yeah, exactly. The whole, the whole it's so crazy, it can't be true alibi works for the rock star thing. But then, you know, I also wrote a book called Shooter. Yes. Where it's about a, a San Francisco policeman tie on coke. Yeah. Uh, who avenges his partner's murder. Right. And then tonight... A San Francisco guy that's high on coke yes. will have to avenge his partner's murder. Yeah, it, uh, yeah. Ten minutes after the credits roll and they put their clothes back on, uh, there's the cops are going to want to talk to people. Yeah, exactly. And if she decides to be good, it's a split second because, of course, as the audience sees, like underneath the bed, there's another ice pick. So it's supposed to be the clue that no, she really was the murderer all along. Yeah, and she's going to murder again. Possibly. Yeah, I just don't. I don't believe any of it. I don't. <laughs> Plus, like, what do you say? Okay, so she. Okay, so first of all, I'm. I'm sure you can imagine. Like, Glad was not happy when this movie came out. No. Uh, it does not depict um, gay people or bisexual people in a very good light. No. And I'm down with that. Uh, to Verhoeven's credit, he was cool with the protests. He was like, "Yeah." You know, go ahead. That's that's your right to protest. Yeah. I mean, I made the movie, but whatever. Right. Um, so that's not great. I just don't believe. First of all, I don't think Sharon Stone is um, very good in this. I mean, yeah. As you pointed out, you definitely need her to be an object of like desire, and yes. she's good looking. Yeah. And so the camera loves her. So we right. are, we got that part. But she's not. She doesn't seem really smart to me. She doesn't seem like, I know we're not supposed to know what her motivations are. We're supposed to wonder about it, but I don't think that she seems like that, like she's, there's an intelligence there working right. that we don't see. Right. Um, you know, it's supposed to be like a cat and mouse game between her and Nick, and I don't really see that. Right. It just, she's just flat. Yeah. She's just kind of flat. Mm-hmm. The scene, the famous scene where she's being interrogated, and there's supposed to be like five or six like powerful men Yes. Who are asking her these questions and she's supposed to be running the room, you know? Like, yeah. I, I don't believe it. I don't know. I just yeah. don't, I don't yeah. think that's that great. No. It's, uh, it's definitely got holes in it, I would say. Why would you say that? 
what? right after I talk about the interrogation I scene. I wasn't trying to do anything like <laughs> I that. I talk about the, the fa- most famous scene, and you're like, okay. there's definitely some holes there. Oh, Why would you do that? I wasn't trying to do you, anything. You had to have done that. This No, Stephen, Stephen's like, she could not have done that on purpose. <laughs> I did not do it on purpose. Say, uh, say, you say your piece about this. <laughs> Let's wrap this film up. Come on. Um, it's not that great. I'll say one thing. It looks yeah. great. Yeah. Uh, you've got the previously uh, mentioned uh, Paul Verhoeven uh, skill, and also you've got Jan de Bont, um, who is a famous director and cinematographer, doing the cinematography on this one. So mm-hmm. they definitely. Many things happen at 4.59 p.m. <laughs> you know, right. And, uh, you know, I mean, it looks great. You know, San Francisco's never looked better, but uh, even in Venom. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I just don't, I don't buy it. Uh, yeah. And it's the most, con- for all the sex and murder, I think it's the most conventional of his films. He's not trying to do anything other than just right. tell this a sleazy mystery. story yeah. with a hero that is barely a hero at all. Yeah. And I like, think. killed two tourists. I know. What? I know. What was going on? I have no idea. Was it, it was a drug buy down uh, I don't, I don't down know. at the beach or something? I don't know. <laughs> what? How did he kill two people? I, I know. Um, and, yeah, I know. Blam. Um, well, and I think that this movie is brought to you by Ice Picks because. Well, they keep the, talking about how uh, affordable they are. Yeah, and available at Kmart. At Kmart. Yeah. <laughs> And I, it's one of those things they make it seem like it's an everyday household item because both her and well, Nikki was, like yeah. use it. It was written or conceived, you know, fifteen years in the late seventies, and yeah. so yeah, yeah. I don't like, and then they have to line about like, oh, I like edges. Ice cubes have edges. Yeah, I know. Ice cube tray. Ice cubes. I, have edges. I know. Like, why wouldn't you just have an ice cube tray? Yeah. It's, it's weird. Yeah, we're gonna die on this this, this hill pick. in San Francisco. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Um, so that did amazingly well. He could write his own ticket after that. Yep. And he hung out with uh, Joe Esterhaz, and maybe there was some some coke going on. There was definitely because yeah. they made Showgirls. Yeah. Uh, which we did which not watch for not this show, yeah. but uh, did uh, collapse Carol Coke <laughs> along with uh, Cutthroat Island. Uh, Gina Davis, poor woman. Gina Davis's career yeah. was hurt just as badly as. Uh, Jesse Spano's career. Wow. After those two films. Oh, boy. Why blame the star? I don't know. That's weird. Blame the insane mismanagement yeah, of I know. this unwieldy thing. So, yeah, after that, it was like, okay, well, I think he got hurt the least out of it. Uh-huh. I'm not exactly sure why, but he was just delivering what is on was for sale yeah. when you're talking about... Paul Verhoeven. Yeah. Talking about sex. Yeah. Talking about violence. Yeah. Talking about satire, I guess. Yeah. How ripe is the Las Vegas showgirl industry for satire? Thank oh, God. My Thank God. God somebody finally came along yeah, to I know. tell us how ridiculous it was. Yeah. So anyway, at that point, it's like, all right, well, what do I do? Should I make something safe? Should I make something that people can really uh, hook into, you know, and show me, show them that I'm back? Yeah. Or do I get together with a screenwriter from RoboCop and my longtime cinematographer, cast a bunch of zeros from soap (laughs) operas, and make a movie that is basically if fascists made a sci-fi movie in their own universe, Starship Troopers. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was... That's what he did. Let's do that one. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) What happens in Starship Troopers? Um, 
Well, first of all, it takes place in Buenos Aires and they whitewashed the whole thing, which is a little disconcerting to say the least. Um, so we got Johnny Rico, right? Who's a white dude, blonde right. white dude. You can't get any whiter than that. And his girlfriend Cameron, Carmen. Carmen, excuse me. Carmen Ibanez. Yeah. So you even you you want to hit the gas? You should have hit it on that one. Yeah. Okay. Denise Richards. Yeah. So it's just like, oh my god. And they're like in high school, and the she's talking about joining the the troops to become a citizen um and she wants to be a pilot and he decides he wants to go because of her even though he they wouldn't be together because he doesn't want to be a pilot he's just going to be mobile infantry um and their friend doogie hauser um is also signing up carl carl the whitest name ever (laughs) well I don't. You, you look at Neil Patrick Harris, and I don't see yeah, I like a Carlos. That might no. have been a bridge too far. Yeah. So his name is Carl. Um, Although Carl is a very German name. Yeah, that's true. So for a guy that ends up wearing a Gestapo hat at the yeah, end. Yeah, I know. Hey, question. Do you think that you can bring this in before 129 minutes goes by? Yes, the length of this film. Absolutely. Okay, let's go. Come on, um, roll it. So what are we doing? Fighting the bugs. We're f- they're fighting these giant bugs, which they suspect are intelligent and have sent asteroids to Earth. Um, and uh, they're trying to get people to rally and sign up to fight the bugs. Um, and that's the basic thrust of the film. <laughs> wow. Um, I, I, this time around, I think you actually uh, punched out a little early, <laughs> but okay. that's okay. We'll talk about what happens for sure. Yeah. It is a war movie, mm-hmm. complete with propaganda that yeah. airs. Uh, this is a return to form. Uh, ten years later, it's a return to the RoboCop form. Yeah. The whole, we're going to do this so straight, you're going to wonder if we even know what we're doing. And clearly we do. Yeah. I, I guess I can understand, but I can hardly believe that when this came out, there are people that were like, this is what a fascist. This is a, he made a movie. It's a fascist movie. It's like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I lived in Holland in World War Two. Right. I get what I'm doing. Right. Why don't you get what I'm doing? Exactly. This is this is fascist. Yeah. I'm shocked to discover gambling in this establishment. Right. Right. Well, and that was always his thing. He was like, if he said, like in an interview, they said, like, why did you do it? Why did you go so hard into it? And he's like, if I make a movie that says fascism is bad, nobody cares. Nobody would listen to right. me. But if I make a movie With satire. that is basically, yeah, it's satire. But if I make a movie that is basically the movie that they would make, like if it's almost like an artifact from the world of this movie, like the Federation yeah. wants to make a movie about the heroic exploits of Johnny Rico, yeah, where. Yeah, okay, the, the, the hayseed guy gets his head blown off in training. But otherwise, yeah. nothing goes wrong. He does everything perfectly. He's a total hero. He's super confident. They kill all the bugs. There's barely any conflict in it. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like, is. It's, yeah, it's like, um, what's the movie, like in Inglorious Bastards, when they watch the movie that um, Daniel Brühl or whatever is in, right? Right. And it's like about this German hero that sniped people from a tower or whatever Mm -hmm. it's like that Mm -hmm. it's like it fell through a time warp and we get to see this movie right 
and it's totally straight faced. You know? Yes. Well, and like I'm you doing said, my part. The 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 videos that they show, it's it's as if it's on a website somewhere, and it's they always ask after you see it, do you want to learn more? Yeah. And you can click learn more, or and so sometimes whoever is watching it, we don't see who it is. Right. They might click learn more, or they might X out of it, like, oh, I don't want to learn more about this. Right, but they don't. And it's, you know, I'm talking about like propaganda and fake news. Like yeah. it's so smart that they put you in the shoes or the eyes of an unknown yeah. um, member of this federation. Because mm-hmm. we see in the action of the film how horrific like the deaths are and how yes. the people on top don't even know what they're doing. Yes. And are you going to follow Jake Busey into a, a right. bug fight? But from the perspective of that person who is just seeing the uh, output of the propaganda machine, you're like... Oh, Doogie Hauser knows that we got to shoot him in the nuts or whatever. Great. And like, oh, right. look at all these little kids jumping on bugs. That makes me feel like they show they show bo- bodies. Uh, Rob Botton? Is yeah. <laughs> Rob Botton on this one? I think so. Uh, I think so, too, although I'm not sure about it. Um, but they have uh, many, many, many like uh, fake dead bodies. Yeah, they do. And before they really uh, double down on how horrible this is, uh, they cut to a dead dog. Yeah. And then they cut to that guy who goes, the only good bug's a dead bug. Yeah. So they're right. even even with that, they're trying to manipulate you because as an audience, we still somehow feel like, you know, the death of an animal is worse than the death of a person. Right. So it just, right. oh, man, it's... It's, it's brutal. Really yeah, well, CinemaScore, C+. Plus. Yeah. Audiences did not understand. Well... I don't think Rob Button was on this one. Okay. Well, I do think it was... Um, you know, a very interesting take on a war film. Um, and and we make the enemies, you know, something completely alien uh, and, you know, gross, like incredibly gross, incredibly violent. Um, I mean, they just attack people like, you know, I think people want see them as like being mindless, although it is discovered later that uh there there is like a brain bug or a bug that kind of controls the other bugs and tells them what to do and like um and at one point one guy is like they're just like us they're coming up with you know uh, ways to trick us and like you know draw us into a trap and that sort of thing this plasma fire isn't random right exactly yeah somebody really messed up this is 51 percent on metascore or metacritic wow that's really low. If you, uh, um, this sounds like a craft of services movie. It does sound like a craft of services movie. Uh, so anyway, people don't get it. Audiences <laughs> didn't want it. Sadly, uh, it cost 105 million, which is not like cheap. 205 million in today money. Yeah. Uh, yeah, not cheap, and it only made 121 million. Mm. Although that didn't stop there from being four more direct-to-video sequels. Wow. All written by Newmeyer. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it's funny because if you know, are there are a lot of, um, this came out, I remember seeing this when it came out. Sure. A lot of my fans were, uh, fans, a lot of my fans exist. Uh, <laughs> a lot of my friends were Heinlein fans and they complained about some of the changes from the book. Okay. Hoven didn't even read the book. Really? No, because the book, if you know, was, is very pro-military. Oh, I it's, see. <laughs> just for a super talented director. It is a stroke of genius that he takes one of the pro, most pro-military, uh, right on the border of fascist uh, yeah. books of all time, and makes it into like this huge like, anti-war thing. Yeah. yeah, it's like totally anti-war. Yeah, and all the horrible things that happen to these people, 
don't have to happen. No. They're just like, they sucked out his brain. Yes. <laughs> why, why are you people doing any of this? I know. And poor stupid Dina Meyer it just I has know. the worst life. And then even Johnny Rico, he never makes a single decision. He's the perfect fascist like f- uh, hero, a.k.a. fool, in that he's drawn into this. You know, to follow because his girlfriend. Because Denise Richards, he, yeah. He becomes a squad leader because people die in front of him. Uh, even when he's the leader, he's just parroting things that uh, Michael Ironside used to say. And yes. now he's risen to this level of, like, um, of importance, you know, in the in the army. And he never made any of these choices. It was just things no. just happened to him, you know? He was just a child of fortune. Yeah, he, he rises up in the ranks really fast. I mean... He becomes squad leader and then he the gets, like, two promotions in like three hours, basically. I know. And then like the Hayseed guy gets shot in the head and then he's not squad leader anymore. That's his only setback. And then like he meets up with Michael Ironside and it's like, Well, I need this. You're gonna be it, you know? And yeah. um Yeah, it just like and his tactics are great because he used to play it wasn't I like know. football, but it's, it was. It's, it's football. It's basically it's football. arena football. But yeah. yeah, but it's like there. God bless Buenos yeah. Aires. I guess uh, sport tactics. You know, turning war into well, it's just a, it's like a sport. Yeah, you know? I know. It's just a very Nazi kind of keep your body healthy, and then you'll be a healthy soldier well, too. It's just gross. The thing is about the football or whatever. It's like at least they had girls playing it too. That was another like Verhoeven thing, yep. and like also sharing the and locker the rooms and the showers. Yep. Um, but like you said, like Des, I feel so sorry for her. Like she's just like pining after Rico this entire time. He's just thinking about Denise Richards. She's also like everyone else, completely insane. They're all insane. Well, that's true. She comes in. And she apparently could have had a better posting, but she, of course, transfers to, to where Rico is. Yeah. And then Clancy Brown's like, all right, what do you got? She's like, immediate kung fu pose. Yeah. And then he beats the crap out of her and like yeah. chokes her half to death. And it's like, that's fine. Let's go get some grub. Like, these people are they're not even human. I know. And I mean, then, intentionally. Yes. And so the genius of Verhoeven was, you have to wonder, like, who's in on the joke and who isn't. Because I don't, I think Casper Van Dien would have given the same performance, whether or not yes. Paul Verhoeven had come up to him and said, be very blank, you know, just be very, <laughs> like yes. it would have been the same. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I feel like Dina Meyer's a better actress than that. Yeah. Um, Jake Busey? Who could say? Yeah. Who could say? Yeah. Denise Richards? Like, yeah, I know. I know. Um, But I just feel so sorry for Des. Like, she... Her and Rico finally get together, and then shortly thereafter, she is brutally killed yes. and just dies. And her last words are like, I, at least I got to have sex with you. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and it's like, it's like that was her entire reason for being, <laughs> which, which is terrible. Which, and I, I didn't, I got this from uh, another podcast that I listened to about the show, but he doesn't even want to have sex with her until Til he's Ironside ordered by Michael like, Ironside to have sex with her. He's like, he's like, no, oh, don't mess bang up that woman, officer. Have. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which is oh, terrible. I know it's so messed up, and the fact that it got made at all. This is a Touchstone Pictures movie. I know. <laughs> the fact that it got made at all on Disney's dime, by the way, uh, crazy is amazing. Yeah, and it basically ruined. Verhoeven's career <laughs> what yeah. was left of it that yeah. was kind of it for him but God bless him 
uh, for making this movie, which was voted, uh, I think, number 20 uh, of the best films of the 90s by Slant Magazine. Oh, really? So it's on people's lists. It's yeah. definitely something that, It's a cult you know, classic. Yes, it's a cult classic, but it is appreciated more now. And again, very well made. Yes. There is parts in this. Uh, the Basil Polidoris uh, is back for the music. Music's great. Mm-hmm. Um, the, a lot of the... It's got that thing. He just loves his, like... That's why Basic Instinct is so rich, like, in, you know, in the cinematography. He just loves this kind of flat TV lighting. And I think it works for the documentary uh, aspect of this film. Yeah. But, I don't know, it's just kind of... It makes the $100 million of sets and stuff look cheap sometimes. Yeah. But there's a lot of cool moves of the camera. Um, the CGI is great. It holds yeah. up really well. Yeah, the bugs are which really disgusting. Which you would disgusting. not expect, yeah. yeah. And there's a lot of practical effects, too. And so, yeah, mm-hmm. it's just well made. And <sighs> I think it's a fun movie. Yeah, I don't know. So, um, for it as violent and, you know... As much sex and stuff like that, isn't it? I don't know about sex. There's not a lot. Um, In fact, except if he had not, there is one F word. Yeah. If you did not have, and then of course the you know horrific violence. Yes. A lot of which is committed against alien creatures. That's true. So if you had toned down the horrific impalings and beheadings and stuff like that, and cut the co-ed shower scene, this is a PG-13 movie. No, you're right. But no. He's going to do get an R, and he's going to yeah. do it for the things that he wants. Yes. So it's not like everybody's like, F this, F that. It's a very um, kind of sanitized story. I mean, these are soldiers. These soldiers don't swear. Yeah, I know, right? But instead, it's just it's fairy tale-esque, you know, almost. You know, it's like this. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, wait, we got to stop talking about it. Okay. Let's move on to uh, the last film we're going to talk about. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first film uh, of after Verhoeven's return to his native Netherlands, the Holland, Netherlands, yes. Dutchland, mm-hmm. um, called Black Book. Yes. What happens in Black Book? Um, Black Book is about a Jewish woman in World War II in the Netherlands. Um, she. Uh, is living with a family in the, uh, f- on a farm somewhere, and the farm gets bombed. So she has was talking with a sailor, so the sailor goes and hides her at his place. They get a tip from a guy saying, like, hey, uh, the Nazis know you're here, or they're going to come looking for you, or something like that. Um, so then they're like, well, you got to help us. And so he books some passage on this boat, this and her family, her brother and her parents end up being there too. And everybody is gunned down by Nazis on this boat, except for her. She dives into the water and escapes. Um, and the rest of the film is her, you know, going under the radar and like hiding as a Jewish person and trying to escape the Nazis. And, but also being like a kind of like a, double agent without really being a double agent without having any training uh she kind of goes undercover to um try to win the affection of a nazi officer which she meets on a train at one point um and so she tries to help the resistance is basically the main thrust of the movie and they get there's uh, a lot of backstabbing and double crosses as the movie goes on. Yeah. 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 She's yeah. a spy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She spies. Yeah. Kind of. Kind of. She doesn't actually like 
the one thing that she does that brings them actionable intelligence is she puts that microphone in the thing in the office which totally backfires on her later once this movie starts twisting up its own ass this movie ends like six times yeah it's like the lord of the rings a whole bunch of times too yeah uh, we'll talk about that. We'll talk about it right now. Uh, so anyway, yes, it's uh, Paul Verhoeven. It's written by him and Gerard Soderman, who uh, he collaborated with on Turkish Delight in some of his earlier movies. So it's kind of a return to form for him. Sure. Uh, there was a lot of trouble getting money for this film, uh, just because you know it didn't have the machinery of Hollywood behind it. Uh, it cost about twenty million euros, okay. which turned out to be about twenty million dollars. Which this movie looks pretty good for only costing twenty million dollars. Yeah. Uh, it only made about $27 million, though. That's not great. Okay. Um, there's a lot of trouble kind of getting it going initially and getting the, the funding. Um, Verhoeven himself uh, got sick and was not able to really um, be in the production. Yep. And, like, a bunch of people from the production, like, f- basically sued the production. Uh, and Including I, the star, right? Well, yes and no. Um, they sued the production because they were basically out of work because they were, like, on hold for this film and just said... Basically, like the court, they they contended that the court should order the Svart book, which is like the production company means Black Book, to declare bankruptcy because that would then allow them to to get paid somehow. Yeah, they get paid in like the liquidation, but that would probably okay. mean no movie. And yeah. they threw that out, uh, I think, because I think Verhoeven knows people. Do you know sure. what I mean? Yeah. Like I think the Dutch uh, saw this as like a big deal. Um, for for Holland. Yeah. Uh, Tom Holland, specifically, <laughs> who's not in the film, because no. he couldn't be. Uh, and yeah, and uh, Carice Van Houten, the star, was actually promised to a play. She had like had to go do a play, but then they were able to shoot the movie again. So yeah. they're like, well, you got to do this for us. And then the theater sued the company, production right. company. So it's kind of, yeah, I mean, the miracle is that it got made, yeah. <laughs> I think. But uh, it was, um, I don't know, somewhat successful. Uh, it was voted the best Dutch film ever by the Dutch. Yeah, which is interesting. <laughs> it was submitted for best foreign language film at the Oscars and not accepted. It wasn't even nominated. Nope. No. It's not nominated. Mm-mm. That was the right choice. <laughs> it's not, it's not, it's a, not film. a fantastic film. I don't, I don't, I don't mm-hmm. love it. No. Um, I think that it's just way too random. It's just a bunch of stuff yeah. that happens. Yeah. And I understand with you. This is what happens, I think, when you remove the satire. Yes. From Verhoeven's work. Yes. Because he set out to show in a modern kind of deconstructionalist way that not everybody was a hero. Yeah. Or even the heroes weren't perfect people. Right. But the way that that is done in the movie is to have just an endless string of people revealing that they're not who you thought they were or they've right. been bad the whole time yes. or and it just bec- it all piles up to the point where you just don't care mm-hmm. <laughs> and like when the big like climactic switch is i hope she can eat enough chocolate in time yes that's not that may have actually happened to somebody and this is not right. based on a true story but it's based on things that happen to actual, actual people yeah but there was no uh rachel um whatever her name rachel is. stein stein or yeah yeah um which also, what what did you think about it ending with her in a kibbutz as the Suez crisis is about to start? I mean, it was just depressing. Because we're always not like, Jewish as far as I can tell. No, not think. as far as I can tell either. But, I mean, what a bummer ending. Like, her life is just, just a continual... Just constant war. Yeah. And, like... 
being under siege and like yeah and not knowing where your shit next dumped on her. yeah and not knowing where your next who meal is working come from something out yeah i know there i don't know it's <laughs> for hoven just like <laughs> I've, usually it's people taking showers with people of the opposite sex but yeah. what if it's i'm just gonna cover an actress and shit yeah, and and I thought that was an interesting choice too. So it's like after the war effort, is, war is over. Um, she escapes for a little bit, but then she gets arrested. But that's what you do. And that's the whole. If you're going to do a war movie and it's going to involve the period after the war, yes. You know, in uh, Band of Brothers, you have a thing where it's like, yeah, everybody's partying. We did it. We eliminate, liberated Arnhem or whatever. Uh, and then you, there's one quick shot of a bunch of ladies in their slips with shaved heads, and you're like, mm, it's not always that great. No. If your point is to show that it's all sides of the great. story, yeah. you're really going to lean in. But you lean in for a movie that has never been, has always been slightly above reality, suddenly becomes an effing cartoon. Yeah. Where a bunch of people come in and are like, whoa, we're partying. Hey, screw all you. Screw you guys. Yeah, dance monkey. Blam, blam, blam. Yeah, take your shirt off. No, pour, pour shit on her. Yeah, I know. <laughs> what? I know. And the guy that saves her is, spoiler alert, the guy who is the bad guy. Hans. But has yeah. been the good guy the whole time. Yes. But is actually the bad guy. Yes. Or maybe not. No. He's a bad guy. He helped liberate Holland. Yeah, I but know. But then he finds out that his sweetie likes one of those, is in love with a Nazi, and he's like, well, you gotta die. Yeah. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I know. Um, well, like he. Oh, speaking of being horny. Yeah. This might be the horniest movie in the world. Forget what I said before. Oh, yeah. <laughs> About basic instinct. Yeah. Uh, it's neck and neck. Yeah. Necking. Well, this is something that I don't understand. Like, she is, you know, thinks forward so much, so she dyes her hair blonde. And then when she's told she needs to, like, attract this Nazi officer, she she dyes her pubic hair blonde as well. Yeah. But she doesn't think, huh, my hair's been blonde for a couple of weeks. Let's touch up my roots. That doesn't cross her mind, even though she's, like, thorough and perfectionist enough to think, I'm going to dye my pubic hair. Yeah. I mean, it's just, like... It just seems like a really simple like thing that she just totally didn't think about. And it doesn't have any effect anyway, because even when she goes to bed with the guy, the guy's like, you're a Jew, right? And yeah. And she's like, no, I'm not a Jew. He knows she's a Jew. Yeah. So it doesn't matter whose hair, where, color, what, it doesn't I know. matter. Like, it, none of it even works. <laughs> That's I know. the whole reason she did it. I know. Yeah. It's just kind of frustrating. It's Got those stamps, though. Yeah, I know, right? So... Do you like the fact that the titular Zvart book uh, doesn't even show up until like two hours into the movie? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I I feel like Verhoeven could have made a bigger deal out of that. Like the guy, the lawyer who has it, she visits multiple times um, and is part of the resistance. And, you know, she, her and the Nazi guy she's in love with, like think that he's the one who double crossed them. Right. It turns out that is not the case. But, I mean, you think that he, you see him writing in something. You think that they could have been like, oh, this is my black book. I keep track of everything. You know, Have the something. book narrate the movie. Yeah. <laughs> something. Yeah. 
you know, like being all like, okay, you said the guy's name was what again? Okay. Well, I mean, they do. We, yeah, I mean, he pulls it out and like we see him right in it, but it doesn't, I guess, what what do you call it? I I know. Dyed pubes? Like, what do you call them? No, no. (laughs) Um, And, uh, And if anything, if anything, it's almost like he's on his best behavior. Paul Verhoeven. Yeah. And the best parts of the film are when he's going full Verhoeven. Yes. Like, it's crazy, but like, and you never get a sense. I think I turned to you, like, while we're watching the movie, and it's like, they're celebrating Hitler's birthday. Like, the Russians are in Berlin at this point. Yeah. Or at least they're out, they're knocking on the door. Yeah. Shouldn't there be more of a sense of of desperation? Shouldn't people be getting their go bags ready and stuff? Yes. And you kind of get that because the party goes nuts and like yeah. the most Verhoeven-esque scene of all is like all these officers are around, what's her name? Like her friend and yeah. pouring champagne on her on her boobs and stuff like that. And it's yeah, like, I know. this feels like, okay, this feels like Paul Verhoeven. Like right. no, I'm having fun now. Right. But none of it's really connected to what these officers should be feeling. The quote unquote bad guy SS officer shouldn't they all be bad yeah uh, is he's sort of like your central casting like ugly Nazi guy yes but other than him you know ordering the deaths of her family basically he doesn't otherwise he's just kind of is just an administrator he just kind of hangs around this building yeah. and <laughs> doesn't really but, do any other bad things but like things. you said he's like a cartoon Nazi you know but, not, but cartoonish would be him He's having sex with Molly or whatever her name is, but he's also beating her or something like that or right. like doing horrible things. Right. He's got a pretty good deal going. Like he just kills these rich Jews and takes their money and then he goes back to his like Nazi desk job, I guess. Yeah. And... Yeah, that's true. <laughs> it's weird. It is weird. Um, and yeah. nobody looks, I don't know. I mean, it's the difference between having somebody who's like a real standout star, but like. Nobody looks as good as uh, Van Houten in the entire film. That's true. Like, she just totally stands out yeah. in the movie. Sometimes on purpose. Like, they throw her in, like, a Nazi dungeon, and she's got her beautiful, like, red dress on her yeah. or whatever. Um, but it's just, like, yeah, I, I don't really know. I feel like the script is not great, and this is another situation where I don't know if she's a good actress or not. I always I, like her, I don't, I like don't her know on her Game either. of Thrones, but her whole thing on Game of Thrones is just like act sexy and mysterious, mm-hmm. uh, which is, you know, pretty easy, I guess. And in this, she's who never is, really asked to do much. Game of Thrones? She's the Red Woman. Oh. Oh. Okay. I did not realize that. Interesting. Yeah. So remember how I said before with the basic instinct? Yeah. It's like, it's not always having to see like somebody's face or hair color to know it's yeah. the same person. Yeah. Haven't you had enough time to determine yeah. it's the same person yeah i would think so but <laughs> I, I did not know okay okay she's boob blind anyway yeah. um but she's not asked to really act at all she just her whole no. family dies and she's like yeah that's pretty bad <laughs> and the well, last she's pretty pissed about it but not really i she's just sort of like shocked yeah you know she's like in the water or something and i know yeah. that she's been shot in the head or something but she's just like huh, yeah and the one time that she acts is like when she finds out that Nazi guy was put to death rightfully yeah. for being the head of the Gestapo. Yeah. And she's like, will it ever end? Yeah. And it's sort of melodramatic. And I'm also like, will this movie ever end? <laughs> well, and then he shoots her up with insulin and you're like, oh, he's the bad guy. Just got to eat that chocolate. Yeah. Eat I it. know. Eat it. 
And then she jumps out of the window. <laughs> and then he's like, get her, get her. But the people who are celebrating him are having too much fun celebrating him that he gets lifted up into their arms. No. Yeah. I she said, gets get away. her. Not yeah. pick me up. I don't think it's great. No. <laughs> no. So um, it's definitely violent. Um, uh, that's for sure. Yeah. But it's a war film. But that's, so. again, that's, you know, the most Verhoeven and probably some of the best parts. Yeah. They, that, they, there are no, that, that farmhouse is gone. There are no oh, stones man. left on top of each other. Yeah. It was a real farmhouse, apparently, um, from the period and was just, I think they probably had to fix it up to make it look. Look nice. Uh, like you could live there because it yeah. was just an old house that was basically condemned. And they're like, can we blow it up? And they're like, yeah, sure. And they blew it up. Yeah, they did. <laughs> they blew up real good. Yeah. Um, so what did we learn? Um, Verhoeven does his best stuff in Hollywood, I think. Um, with the help of <laughs> well, other Apparently, People. we did not watch uh, his um, one of his most recent movies, uh, L from 2016. That's true. That was technically uh, a French film. Yes, and won the Golden Globe for best foreign language film. So, oh, okay. Uh, it, you know, it's a return to form for him. Now, the movie here's what the movie's about. It's about a woman, um, a rich, I think, uh, sort of uh, upper class woman who is raped in her home, and then sort of tries to like continue to live her life. You know, like. It, that didn't happen to her so it's okay. about violence it's about sex yeah oh boy yeah okay about white white lady yeah i think the lesson is that this is a um like a tulip he thrived and grew when given the right soil to grow in uh-huh and hollywood in the 90s didn't know that it was sanctioning a very subversive filmmaker right. who has a lot of bombast as well they thought they were getting what was on the tin which was boobs covered in blood right and he's was totally happy to bring you boobs covered in blood but he was trying to bring you more than that and he yeah. was able to do it while the jig was on once the jig was up that that was it yeah you know what i mean mm-hmm. and we didn't uh, we were too smart for that or we didn't want that anymore right i uh, i think and it's too bad I, it is too bad i wish we still wanted it and I think that um, Black Book had potential. I mean, I always think that World War II movies are interesting. Um, but it just kept going. And um, I don't know that he really sat and thought about, like, what is the point of this story? Like, what is the story that I want to tell here? He's not a screenwriter. Yeah, I know. He's not a screenwriter. I know. He shouldn't have wrote the, screen- the screenplay. No, he shouldn't have. So, I mean, we didn't rate any of the films, but if you had to pick a favorite out of all of them? Oh, probably RoboCop. Um, and yeah. I don't want to pick the same one as you. Well, it, it's, yeah. it's a terrific film. And then I'd say after that, um, maybe Total Recall and Starship Troopers are kind of tied. They can't tie. They can't tie. Um, then I guess... Boy, that's hard. Um, I might like Starship Troopers a little bit more than Total Recall. <sighs> what? The exact same ratings for everything. Uh, do we have to take a shower together now? No. It's total total equality. 
Yeah, I would agree as well. Although I think I think I'd probably rather watch Total Recall: The Drop of a Hat than than Starship, Starship Troopers. Troopers. I do think Starship Troopers is a better movie. Um, I think you're asked to swallow quite a bit in Starship Troopers. You're asked to swallow. <laughs> what? You're asked. <laughs> Oh, is that his new sci-fi film he's working on? No. You're As to Swallow by Paul <laughs> Verhoeven. Stop it. So that was uh, fun. We haven't gone through somebody's oeuvre uh, in a while, yeah. uh, or at least part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll have to do something like this in the future. In fact, we will be doing this in the future. It's on the list of things to do. Yes. So I hope you enjoyed it. And all of these films are available on Amazon. Mm-hmm. You can find them by clicking through our links on Just Enough Trope. We haven't mentioned that in a while. So I thought, New Year, get back to that. Uh, we have what's called a, an account, an associate's account. Yes. So when you click through our links, which you can find through our banner ads on our website, justenoughtrope.com, or mm-hmm. I'll put uh, some links in our show notes for this show as well. When you click to Amazon through those links, you're now you're kind of like on our time at that point. Yeah. So anything that you buy, a small percentage of that comes back to us, and it doesn't cost you anything. That's right. It's it's great. I mean, if they're going to own everybody and the robots are going to deliver us bad groceries from uh, Whole Foods anyway, uh, right. you might as well use it to our advantage. Uh, and they are so big that they can afford to uh, cut us a little something something. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of how it works. That helps keep the lights on when you do it. And it works for everything. It doesn't have to be, you know, if you're going to rent Black Book from um, Amazon Prime or something like that. Right. Uh, do it. Uh, I forgot to say that. Uh, I would say watch all of these films for sure. Some of them I don't think are as good as the other ones, but I think they're all worth a watch. Mm -hmm. So let's say you're going to get Black Book. You click through the link. You get it. We get a little bit of that. And then if you're going to hang around Amazon and buy some other stuff, um, pubic hair dye, we don't know. Uh, (laughs) We'll get a piece of that too. Whenever Mm -hmm. you click through this link, you know, it kind of puts you in the, our window around your experience. Right. So that's a great way to support the show. Even if you're just buying whatever you're going to buy anyway. Exactly. Cuisinart. Cuisinart. Yeah. Yeah. To make your protein shake. Yeah, exactly. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. I was going to say uh, a gross of toilet paper. Oh, sure. For when you get a big cauldron of shit dumped on you. Oh, but. my gosh. So give that a shot. Uh, also, give this a shot. Follow us on social media at Facebook and Twitter because that's how you can keep in touch with us. And we're always having discussions about this kind of stuff on there as well. Uh, if you're not subscribed to us through a podcatching software like uh, Apple iTunes, Podcast Man, Holland, Netherlands, Dutch, uh, yes. or Google Play Podcasts, Dutch, Holland, Netherlands guy. <laughs> or Stitcher or any of those other places, uh, do that. Subscribe to the show because it's going to come out as soon as it's ready and you'll get it. Also, leave us a review. We want to hear from the fans. We want to know how you think that we're doing in this new year of our Lord 2019. Yes. And give us a rating at the very least because, let's face it, we deserve it. That's right. We deserve to get a high rating from you, or at least I hope we do. (laughs) If you feel like we do, give us that high rating because it helps us move, uh, move up in the ranks. And we get to reach more people. And that's what we're always looking to do. Mm -hmm. So give us five heads that can only say two weeks, (laughs) but can also say, get ready for a surprise. Yeah, at the last minute. So it seems like a limited utility to that. Yes. Trying to think of how I could get through an entire conversation uh, in a a train compartment (laughs) with just two weeks. 
Let's say you can say parts of it too. Yeah. So the words two weeks. Yes. And the words get ready for a surprise. And the individual uh, phonemes that make up yes. those words. Yes. So that would be your homework assignment. Go home and tell us how many words you could make uh, anagram <laughs> style out of all those uh, syllable fragments. Yes, that sounds like a plan. Because otherwise it seems like it's specifically for throwing it at somebody. Yes. And then just as a taunt, it goes, get ready, ready for surprise. surprise. Yeah. Just have that, have that lady record a couple more things. Yeah. That's all I'm saying. Sounds good. Hope you get through customers. Yeah. Because she was through. I know, right? She was totally through. That yeah. kid, like, he was signed off, stamped it. He was yes. just making conversation at that point. Yes. <laughs> those, weren't, those weren't official questions. No, they weren't. And then suddenly you screw up and you got Goldicott on your ass. I know, right? You don't want that. No, you don't. So give us five stars instead. We'd appreciate it. Uh, that's it. We're going to be back next week to talk about something different as per usual. But until, until then, stay cool. Summer rocks forever. <laughs> Yearbook style, and we're signing off from your host, Caliban. I'm your co-host, Mikan Hara. Keep the geek fires burning.